Hello, and welcome to It's a Fandom Thing. I'm your host, Erin Marlowe, and each week I'm joined by a panel of guests to discuss all things fandom and pop culture, primarily from a female perspective. You'll find everything from fanfic, to cosplay, to Schitt's Creek, to Supernatural, and everything in between. So put on your favorite piece of fandom merch, set aside that fanfic that you're writing about your OTP, and sit back and enjoy this week's episode. Hello, and welcome to this live stream of It's a Fandom Thing. We are going to be talking about friends. So this is the one where we talk about friends. And I'm going to introduce my panel individually. So we have two great guests on. One of them, you know, that we may end up having a battle. So we'll have the viewers decide who wins that battle. And, you know, I know you'll want to pick me, but, you know, try not to be biased there. But it's going to be a lot of fun. But before I do that, just a quick announcement. I just want to give a heads up again. We have a live trivia night coming up next Saturday, May 15th at 6 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. At that time, we are going to be giving away prizes, all that kind of stuff. And we have actually a couple of people that are going to donate to your charity of your choice if you win. And we're going to have more information about that tonight. So if you want to participate and try to win prizes, you can sign up. We're only taking the first 20 people who sign up. And then after that, it'll be closed. So just want to let you know that. So yeah, and we have some other exciting things coming up. And on that live trivia, we have some amazing podcasts joining us. Jen from My Streaming Bubble. We have Liberty Diner Dish. So Michelle from there and I think Ken from there will be joining us too. So that's the Queerest Folk podcast that we've mentioned before. We have Sudden But Inevitable, Twist My Arm, Best Flicks with Ricky D. We have Sort of Brilliance. We have no, I think I got everybody except for one. I haven't mentioned one because one of the hosts of Bed, Wed, Behead is on with us tonight, Carla. So Bed, Wed, Behead will also be on our trivia. And I'm going to introduce Carla now. And Carla, tell me one thing right now that you are into in pop culture. Hi, I'm into, okay. It's so hard to just be like, just one, but <laughs> right now, I'm going to go with Party Down, which I started binging uh, on the recommendation of a listener. And I'm in like maybe five episodes and I'm really enjoying it. So I hope it stays that way. And I, you know, it's surprising to me that I've never watched Party Down because I love Adam Scott like so much. I just adore Adam Scott, yeah. but I haven't watched it. But I know I need to because of that. Because, because he's, he's horrible. And you're also still watching Queer as Folk, even though yes, I am, and I am, you know, much to your dismay, still live tweeting about how much frustration, let's put it that way, I find with Brian. Uh, yes, yes, I, yes, <laughs> uh, it's, it's breaking my heart a little. I have to be honest. There were some tweets today that I was kind of like, I didn't even like them because. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, I noticed very pointedly, like, oh, I'm not going to like that one. And like, you're clearly wrong. I'm skipping that one. What is wrong with you? I get it, but I still get it. Okay. And then also joining us is Susie. So Susie, what are you into right now in pop culture? Hello. Yes. So right now, actually, like just before I hopped on the 
stream, I was, I was watch, I was catching up on the latest episode of 911, which is, which is, oh my god, it's one of my favorite, like, ensemble shows of the moment. Talking about ensemble shows, right? <laughs> but <laughs> it's just, oh, Bucky is like a golden retriever human. He is the epitome of a golden retriever boy. I love him so much. I just want good things for him. Oh, my sweet baby. <laughs> also, I, I, I think I've watched my, yeah, that, see, everybody watches stuff that I'm not, yeah. And what I'm into is, it's always stuff that I'm prepping for the podcast lately. That's all I pretty much watch. And I'm watching Chuck right now because we're going to be recording our Chuck episode. Um, tomorrow, that's not a live stream. It's just recording separately. And I'm watching that first time watching it. It's pretty good. I like it. I'm really into it. I'm not going to be able to watch the whole thing before we record. So yeah, I'm also really into this George Clooney video <laughs> that I shared on our Imagine that. I know it's really hard <laughs> to believe, but it's really funny. So yeah. And hi, Panda, queers folk. I don't know if you've heard, uh, Carla trashing Brian earlier, Panda, but. Yeah, that was that was. I not was trying pretty. to very tastefully bring up the fact that he's not my favorite. I do all, <laughs> of, all of the trashing on my timeline on Twitter. Yeah, there I know, I know, I know. It's very fun. Okay, well, let's talk about friends. So we're just going to first start. I just want to know. We're going to go around quickly. What are some of your name one quote that's your favorite, Carla? And then I'll go to you. We soon. were on a break. <laughs> <laughs> First and foremost, okay. Oh, <laughs> oh my god! I didn't Starting know if anybody would actually bomb. say that quote. I didn't know if anybody would actually say that quote as one of their favorites. So good, that's not on my list. You know. Thank you, Rachel. <laughs> it's not on my list either. <laughs> it is the first thing on my list. It's the first thing on your list. Yeah. The okay. Very Su- first thing. Susie, what's one quote on your list? Joey doesn't share food. <laughs> That's my Stop second there. one. Yes. So I got off Susie the plane. I got off the plane. Excuse <laughs> Thank you. I, I have thoughts. I have thoughts on that. You'll you'll hear them later. <laughs> um, okay. And mine is okay. I I really thought somebody would say this. Okay. So it's Joey's. Yeah. It's like a cow's opinion. It just doesn't matter. It's moo. <laughs> that is definitely up there. I, I yeah. use that all the time. Like you have no idea. This is my husband crap bag. That's a good one too. Yeah. I use the moo one all the time too. And then also the, you know, it's the third day, Monday, one day, Tuesday, Tuesday, Wednesday, what day? Thursday, the third day. <laughs> I love That's stop. Cleansing my aura, which I think Ross says to Phoebe because she goes oh, and like yeah. starts like plucking away. Yeah. yeah. Or was it Monica? Someone says it. One of the guys says it to her. I think it's either between like Ross or Chandler, maybe. Yeah. Ross. It was Ross. It was, it was Ross. Yeah, okay. Ross always has Ross. this. Ross is just like, Ross, you know, Ross never gives Phoebe credit for anything. Ross. <laughs> We're going to get into the Ross debate here soon. Yes. At the end of a friendship is coming. <laughs> <laughs> the friend, well, that, end of a friendship brought to you by friends. Yeah, see? I know. It's kind of ironic. It's kind of ironic. I'll be there for you <laughs> until the end of this episode. 
Oh, I was. I thought you were gonna say, "I'll be there for you until we talk about Ross." <laughs> <laughs> See, that one fits the structure a lot better. So, good job, Susie. I like that. I, they're both. Thank they're you. both equally great. So, they're both. They're both wonderful. <laughs> okay, so favorite episodes and to our viewers too. Oh my god. Okay, so probably my favorite is the one where everybody finds out where you know. Uh, Chandler and Monica have been hiding their relationship from everybody mm-hmm. for so long and Joey happens to listen in on, on uh, oh no no that was Rachel but Joey happens to learn about it and so he's tasked with keeping the secret and he just doesn't want to do it he can't do it he's just you know like about to burst at the seams and then Rachel finds out because she overhears Monica and Chandler having a sexy conversation about laundry uh, and so she finds out and then she goes and, and, and tells Joey and Joey's like, Oh, I kind of already knew. And then she's like, How could you not tell me? And eventually Phoebe finds out, which leads to one of my other favorite lines. They don't know that we know that they know yes. or the other way around, which is fantastic. <laughs> and they have this sexy off where Phoebe pretends to be really into Chandler and, and is trying to seduce him. And she, she like walks her boobs over to him very sexily. And um, Chandler goes to to put his hand on them, and then he just moves to her shoulder, and it's a fantastic, just piece of you know like little moment comedy right there, just like. And then finally, you know, it, it comes out that he can't kiss Phoebe because he's in love with Monica, which is the first time that he has said that, which is not true because he also said it to her when, when she had the turkey on her head in another favorite episode. That's true. One of the thanksgiving episodes he had said i love you she's like what he's like i didn't say anything but so he admits that he loves her and then everybody's like yay now we can all just be happy and free and everybody knows but wait don't tell ross excuse me what yeah he's my brother and he might go a little you know like bananas so they yeah, think everything's fine <laughs> so they think everything is fine they go back to the to the apartment and they're making out and ross looks over and sees he's about to get his um his job back which he had lost for for having uh, temper issues, and he looks over and he's like, "Get off my sister!" And that's where the, the episode cuts. And then you come back to the next one, and Ross goes over there. And he's like, "My sister and my friend." And then they explain, "No, but we, we're really in love, and it's not just a fling." He's like, "My sister and my best friend," <laughs> and that that's one of those things that I just I love with. Um, with David Schwimmer that he can shift a line like that like even his whole expression mm-hmm. his whole body changes it's fantastic so that's one of them the other one I briefly mentioned was the one basically like I like most of the Thanksgiving ones but I really love me too seeing, they're the best yeah mm-hmm. I loved Monica trying to cheer up Chandler for having cut off his pinky toe like 15 years ago <laughs> by accidentally dropping a knife on by the way who wears wicker shoes like i'm sorry but that's on him like who wears wicker shoes? <laughs> it that, was the miami just... vice thing you know he yeah was miami vice and well, that was come part on. of you miami to, you don't have to go that hard nobody has to go that hard don't <laughs> be ridiculous chandler. chandler like it's a look buddy. it's a bad look and so she drops a knife cuts up his pinky toe and he's like oh i can't believe you cut my pinky toe like chill this was like a million years ago but it's great because we get to see her come in with this giant turkey and she's putting like the little hat and the sunglasses and then she does the little dance and, and makes it shake and he's like, Oh, you're so great. I love you. Huh? Yeah. Okay. I, <laughs> I love that. I just want to say really quickly. I love that when you're saying all these episodes, especially when you said the first one when 
the one where everyone finds out how you have reenacted the whole episode in just a couple of minutes. I think it's really awesome. <laughs> Except for you didn't say when Phoebe says, this is my bra. Yeah. <laughs> it's for my breasts. Or well, I also didn't mention. the way she dances. Yes. 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 But I, I love the way she dances them over to him. She doesn't even I know. Walk. She's just like. She's like boobs first. And it's fantastic. I'm like, you know what? If this is what flirting is like, I'm taking notes. What and did I, I just, know at that age? And her dress was amazing. I have to her say. Her dress was amazing. I love mm-hmm. But. There was nothing like Joey just going boom and opening her, her the front of her shirt. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because he's Joey and he just has those kinds of skills. Oh, amazing. Oh but they're just, okay. Basically, if I could name a favorite episode, it's just yes. Yes. Like, I think a, a solid, like, quarter of them are my favorite episode. Probably none of them in, like, the last couple of seasons. Although I do like um Ross's wedding. Well, more like... After Ross's wedding, when Chandler and Monica first got together, um, I love that. I oh. love when, when Phoebe mm-hmm. is, uh, oh, when Phoebe gives birth to the babies, that one, oh, because it's so heartbreaking. Like she's, she's really, yeah. I mean, she's been with these little guys for months and, you know, she's handing them off. And it was just like a beautiful little moment of, uh, of serious, seriousness with her. But in this, just you know frenzied friends friends world where joey's having what they think is sympathy pains but no he's having like what is it his appendix burst or something no or? he has kidney stones oh, i thought it was a kidney stone yes. then he was- <laughs> the doctor has like kidney stones and uh chandler's and joey's like could it be some it's kidney stones and <laughs> nope kidney stones stones Want to see him? Oh, yeah, I know. <laughs> Ross are like, oh, look at the kidneys. Yeah, <laughs> there. I'm gonna regret something because I know that there's one in my mind that isn't coming out. But those are those are the ones that I can quickly remember and squeal about because I'm very excited <laughs> to talk about friends. Okay, so Susie, what are some of your favorites? Well, I don't. Oh gosh, there's just like so many, and I don't think I can really. I don't really have, it's kind of, oh gosh. It's like telling me to pick a favorite chocolate in a chocolate box. Although there are some that are better than others, but at the end of the day, it's all chocolate. So it's still good, you know? Um, I think it's more like moments for me. So yeah. it's just like different moments, like through the series, you know? And oh gosh, it's, it's so hard. Don't make me choose. <laughs> This is like Sophie's choice. Well, which ones? <laughs> what I ended up doing, Susie, if it helps, I ended up just going with the ones I could remember first. <laughs> oh. Although well, the, the one where they all find out is my favorite. Yeah, I have to say that that is one of like the top. Um, I think another one, it's just like, I don't remember the name of it, but like if anyone can tell me, that'd be great. Um, but it's the first episode that actually got me into watching Friends because uh, my mom used to watch Friends. And one day when I was a kid, she was just like, oh, I want to watch that one show where this girl gets a hairless cat because her grandma had one. Oh, shit, the one with the ball. Is that the one with the ball yeah, where they that, were throwing the, the ball name? the whole time? Is that the name of that episode? I think I, that is. Well, well she told me one where they're throwing because, the ball through the whole thing. Yeah, because she does not like sphinx cats. Oh, she thinks they're a little bit weird, but she was like, because she has this cat and she doesn't like the cat because the cat doesn't like her. Oh, what's the episode? And so we looked it up and then we started watching that episode of Friends and I was like, I want to watch this from the beginning. Yeah, the one with the ball. Yeah, that's the one with the ball. Yeah. Yeah. 
<laughs> with Mrs. Whiskerson. Yeah. Oh my god, yes. Yeah, that's, that's the one where the cop that's... shoots the bird at the end. Oh my god. Oh, that's right. I had <laughs> forgotten so... about him. Yeah. But I loved him up until that point, and then I was like, okay, bye. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I think that one like takes like top lot just because it was like the one that kind of started me watching Friends. So you know, it holds a special place in my heart for that reason. And the cat. The cat. Rachel. <laughs> Rachel. <Yeah. laughs> not mine. Not mine. Not mine. <laughs> not, not mine. <laughs> not mine. Not mine. Not <laughs> mine. Oh, my gosh. Oh. Oh. Yeah, and the, um, Panda was mentioning the one where Emily goes to the U.S. and then Ross goes to London, so they're switching back. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> That's a good one. Yeah, I have a, I love pretty much every Thanksgiving episode. I think the Thanksgiving episode where Ross got high, the one where Ross got high, Oh, yeah. Is the best Thanksgiving episode, and it's so funny. And I mean, and Ross was like, well, "Who should I blame it on? <laughs> who should I say got me high?" And how Monica's mom is like, you know, because Chandler they hate Chandler, and then they end up loving Chandler at the end. And Monica's mom is like, "You've seen, and you've you know, you stood by Ross through the drug problem, <laughs> <laughs> and now you're taking on oh, Monica." Oh, that's- yes. Yes. I'm taking a picture of all of us so I can tell the world. <laughs> and show Phoebe, up. Phoebe's having the, the, the sex dream about Monica and Ross's dad. And then she has the dream that he cheats on her and then she stops because, and that's also the one where Rachel makes the trifle and it has the beef. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> where the pages get stuck together. And so she makes like half trifle, half shepherd's pie. Because <laughs> Ross and Joey are oh trying to God. leave to go to yes! the dancers Thanksgiving. Yeah, because you know, classic. And one but... of the <laughs> one of the things that I love about that is that when Ross finds the pages stuck together, Joey automatically turns and says, "Chandler, I know, I love that." Too. <laughs> and I love that that was improvised. Like that was Wait, like the what? script. He, it, what? It, yeah, he improvised saying Chandler when he finds the pages stuck together. <laughs> and Chandler's it's face. Like, Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's, I love that one. <laughs> um, I also had, I have to look at my list and see, but well, the one with the cop solely for the pivot scene. I mean, oh, yes. the pivot scene. Pivot, that's one of the, the best, <laughs> best just lines, period, because it's so memorable and iconic. And if you say to almost anybody, pivot, they'll know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, shut, up, time, shut up! Shut up! Shut up! Every time I'm moving furniture, or you know, just yeah. going upstairs, yeah. I'll like turn a corner and be like, "Pivot!" <laughs> I say that, like, I used to say that to my husband all the time, and he stopped. He stopped finding it amusing, and I'm like, "It's how can you? You're just like, what like, is wrong with you? Please. It's a classic." Or the one with Ross's sandwich. <laughs> yes. Oh my god! Yes. With the moist maker. Yeah, the moist maker. Oh my, my god. Sandwich. And then he's my. taking those pills and he's like, I don't care about Because <laughs> I will say, I may not be a fan of Ross, but he has some of the funniest lines in the whole He has, he has some fun moments. Like the one yes. where the one uh the one where Ross is fine when Joey and Rachel are dating and he bites uh-huh. them over and he's making fajitas. <laughs> Oh my god! 
And he's like, fajitas! <laughs> I love it, you know, but I think it's, it's, most of them can take any one word or phrase and just mm-hmm. the way that they say it is, is funny. And there's, okay, so here's why I don't like the comedian Jay Moore. Stay with me. So Jay Moore in one of his comedy specials was, or maybe it was an interview, was talking about friends and how much he hates it. And he's like, there's nothing funny about it. Like nothing in the script is funny. It's just people going like, um, just saying mundane things. And I'm like, that's what's brilliant <laughs> that they say these things and they seem like they're having genuine conversations. Like these are, this is the first time that they've heard this person say it as yeah. opposed to like maybe they've rehearsed it 30,000 times and they can turn absolutely anything into a quotable gem just by the way they say it. I mean, you go around saying, I know, and you automatically think of Monica <laughs> because of the way she goes around saying, I know, you know, like <laughs> how many times have you, have you spoken to somebody and said, how you doing? And you know who you're mm-hmm. talking about. Yeah. Like it's go to hell, Jay Moore. You don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> it's very true. I still, I mean, that's why I didn't really have to do prep for this episode because I have watched these episodes so many times I can quote all of them. Like, I also think another great moment is um, when there's the one where Ross can't flirt and they're getting all the pizzas delivered because he's trying to flirt the girl and he starts talking about gases or whatever. But there's, but what's so great about that also is that Joey's grandma's there who doesn't speak English and she's so excited to see him on Law and Order. And then yeah. his scene gets cut. He realizes it. So he goes over and he shoots the scene and he's got like the duck. And he's like, the duck in the He's like, this duck will get it. And Phoebe's like, oh no. <laughs> and then when it cuts out and there's a little bit of Chandler singing ground control and he's like, ground control to major <laughs> It's little things like that that they do that yeah. are just so, so, so funny. Yeah. And their chemistry. I think that's the other reason it worked so well. Cause if the actors didn't work well together, it would have been. Horrible. Oh yeah. yeah. But th- that's, that's what made the show. I mean, because you can have a show that's well written and poorly acted. You can have a show that's well acted and poorly written, but you have th- this magical chemistry between all of the actors mm-hmm. um, to the point where they all get funny things to say, or they all play off of each other and you know we'll throw in a line that that somebody else will pick up and run with and it's that's i think why well why it lasted so long for starters even though i mean like the well-run drive like season seven so yeah i think that's why it worked yeah. well let's talk about the friends okay and we did polls so we're going to talk about the women first because we're going to end with ross <laughs> <laughs> because aaron is ready to take him down <laughs> It's gonna be it's gonna be the dilemma, the Ross dilemma is what I'm calling it. We're gonna start with the women, and I've been doing doing friends polls all week, and this one was the most voted on, the most, the closest. A Phoebe won, but every Monica and Rachel got votes too, and also I like all three of them the same. That also got uh, got a lot of votes too. Um, so yeah, so I just want to know. Your overall thoughts on all of them, instead of just going through them individually, we'll do it differently for the, the men because we have to do individual with Ross. Um, who's your favorite, Carla? And then any other thoughts you have on all of them? Oh, I have so many thoughts on everything, but my favorite really depends on the part of, of the, of the 10 seasons we're talking about because in the first, in the first, like, maybe third of the show, it was Monica. Like, I really related to her. She's, you know, she's just trying to 
be a good host and make everybody comfortable and also kind of um, dealing with boundaries as well because you know everybody's always at her place and she's always happy to have them there but she doesn't really seem to adapt to a non-maternal role with them um so she ends up becoming a little bit too controlling and i mean she's just controlling per- controlling person and very um high-strung person already but i really feel like towards the end of the show as it is with many shows, some of the characters become caricatures of themselves. So she just ended up being really screechy and annoying. Whereas in the first, like, third or, you know, sometimes quarter of the, of the series, she was just, yeah, she had her stuff going on, but she seemed more approachable, more likable. Towards the middle, I, I started liking Rachel a lot more because she just, she, she's the kind of person who, you know, Monica's running the home base, but Rachel is the, the the fun person that you want to bring no matter what the occasion is. And even though we get some really out-of-character moments from her where she's just very overly excited by weird things, like, you know, she has this party, for, the fake party for Joshua, when when they have, um, where she's just like last minute, it's like, okay, we're going to have a party for Joshua. And then there's like a Bon Voyage banner and she wears a cheerleader outfit and, you know, it, it, it's just okay but outside of that that's where she where she really starts to find herself and starts to, to define herself on her own terms where she parts where you know she's been parted from her family's money but she's um kind of coming around to spending time with her family again um while also holding on to her individuality and um and you know she she makes a lot of career career advances in that section of the show. And I, I just really liked that. And then in the end, like my favorite was, was Phoebe in the last like couple of seasons. Um, because th- th- that was when she was like a balance of the Phoebe. We grew to love in the beginning, but without the, the fake vacant, um, you know, the, the fake airheaded thing that they really like, mm-hmm. um, put on so hard in the beginning. She was just, you know, she, she had really come into her own and her, in her life and in how she dealt with other people. She was a little bit more cutthroat towards the end, which it wasn't like a malicious kind of thing, but she just, um, she started putting a lot of her own interests first which i think in the beginning she was just kind of like uh she wasn't utilized as well in the beginning let's put it that way so yeah it it really depends on where we are in the series that you know that i think about who's my my favorite yeah and Susie. yeah um i think out of all the girls yeah i really like phoebe is one of my more she, she's like somewhere of my favorites also like not only like just based on her character but also like her general aesthetic is also really like in a way she was kind of like you like you could tell that she had been raised by like more of like a few-spirited grandma because her style was very evocative of like that of the 60s and you could see like still pieces of it like throughout the whole series 
And I really like, like, especially when we have moments that are like focused solely on her, like that whole character, uh, the whole pregnancy arc with her. And I just thought it was really sweet how she was like, I want me, but I can't have it. And, <laughs> and Joey just tells her, oh, you know what? I'll stop eating meat so you can eat meat. That way it cancels it out. She's like, oh, okay. Then we're going to go right back. And I just thought that was like <laughs> really sweet and fun. And, like the end of that arc and she gives birth to the to the kids. She's like, I wanna keep one. It's like, oh no, baby. <laughs> no. Mm-hmm. Oh and she's like, Aunt Mom Phoebe <laughs> for like the rest <laughs> of the series after. Yeah. Which to this day I'm still trying to like figure it out in my brain if is it incest or no? Or is it just surrogacy? Like I that's something I keep like trying to figure out in my head, even to this day. I'm like Okay, but they didn't do the deed. But yet she had his kids. But it, but it wasn't. But it's his. Oh but God! It was, but it was. Um, I know it was like eggs. it was. It was. Yeah, the so it wasn't like they were using her right at all. Mm-hmm. I know. I, I know she was just like the incubator, but yet the kids came out of her, and there's it's like she. Oh, I don't know. Like if I get if I, I get to if a I, dark place, if I start overthinking <laughs> this, I'm this like. Because I just, like, focus on the weirdest thing. So I was just like, okay. Okay. Just got to put this away now. Stick a pin in it. Come back to it later. Well, I'm, like, sort of okay with Monica. She's kind of, like, there. Although I do think that something that should definitely not have been a part of her character, or maybe just, like, not, like, a big, like, thing, was the whole, like, she used to be fat. Let's keep making jokes mm-hmm. about this. And I'm just like, ugh. By the, like, what is it, like, the tenth joke that they say about that? Like, just in, like, the series run. I'm like, guys, can we just watch this yeah. go, please? Okay, yeah, yeah. She, she, she used to be fat. Let's move it on. Like, there's more to her. And it, it, like, it's so interesting, like, in the show, how she, like, she's a chef. She wants to be a chef and how, like, she goes through and all these different, like, different jobs that she takes and I think the one that I liked the most was she was working at the diner. Yeah, I liked the, that too. With, with the, the big bazookas. <laughs> she had the skate on too. Oh my gosh. Yes. And she was just staring at her like, I start miles beneath these things, man. <laughs> just haunts like, it. Like it's like one of those like little like, like what, is, what do they call it? The little clown hooters? Clown hooters? <laughs> Yeah, the ones that you squeeze and it goes. Oh yeah. Oh. Okay. <laughs> I didn't think of them. Like I've never hooters. heard of, heard of them. Uh, I know. I don't know. Referred to as clown hooters. Is that not what they're called? Well, I don't know. I'm just saying that I've never heard know, of it myself. I just always thought because they go ha ha and like clowns use them, so that's like I know in like my the brain. clown like, nose. I thought it was the, yeah, the nose the, and the horn and stuff. And maybe you're combining the two. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's like this thing. It's like this little horn that you squeeze and it goes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but I didn't know it was called a hooter. Hooter's clown. Hooter. <laughs> Listen, I don't know if that's what it's called, but that's what I called it. <laughs> that's, that's the word I chose to use because I thought it was fun. And also, like, Rachel's whole thing of, like, like, I still remember her telling her dad, like, what if I want to be a shoe? What if I want to be a hat? I know I don't want you to buy me a hat, daddy. It's a <laughs> metaphor. 
and just said to her, being like, I'm interested in fashion, and I want to do that. And how she like goes and advances her career in that direction, becomes something other than uh, Rachel. Was it Green? Rachel Green. Yes. Good. Mm-hmm. Like it, I think it's really interesting how she went from like potentially being a doctor's wife to like being her own self-made person with her own like journey and every pitfall that took her like oh my god i i'm just gonna say this rachel that relationship with ross is that is a choice is that what you said a choice <laughs> i'm just gonna i'm just it's gonna something bad it's something <laughs> I'm, I'm not gonna say that mm, i'm gonna wait till later to like air my grievances but i'm just gonna say it's it's a choice take that as like- you may like the grievances are being peppered in throughout. I know, I know. Are I'm they? No, I'm doing it. So, yeah. Okay, my thoughts on on the, the right choice. <laughs> Rachel whispered that the right choice. <laughs> that was Rachel's choice. Was the right choice. Rachel herself chimed in. <laughs> yeah, Rachel herself. Well, you know, Phoebe used to be my favorite, and then on rewatches, I'm probably gonna hate for this. Phoebe's actually kind of, kind of not a great person. So a lot of the stuff she does, a lot of them aren't great people, honestly, if you really look at some <laughs> of the stuff they do. But I think Rachel ultimately is my favorite, uh, just because she goes through, I think, the most growth of any of the characters on there. She, even though they try to erase all of that, in the series finale, and I'll get to that because to me that was just horrible. Um, but yeah, she's the one who goes through the most amount of growth. I think she changes the most. She uh, she's funny without trying to be funny. They all are kind of, but she finds her independence. She finds her grounding. She finds that she doesn't have to rely on a man until the end when they ruin that all. But she doesn't have to rely on her father. She doesn't have to rely on getting married. All that kind of stuff, which was just so awesome and great and wonderful. Until they kind of ruined that all in the end. But that's why I love her. Because she had the most growth. And I loved her hair. I mean, I know that's cliche to say. But I did love her hair. I loved her hair more as the show went on. And another thing. And I know I'm in the minority here. But I actually think the first couple of seasons of the show are the weakest for me. And I think the show gets better starting in season four and then on after that. I do think the last couple of seasons are very weak, but I think between four and like seven, I think those are actually hot spots and the good, good episodes there. So I know I'm in the minority there, but I just think it is. Plus we get Monica and Chandler and I love Monica and Chandler. I just love them. I think they are perfect together. And Monica, you know, Monica is a character that can get on your nerves and get really annoying and really hard to deal with. Uh, but, but she has such a great heart and so much love there. And her relationship with Chandler, I think it was one of those where because they were such good friends, their love was even greater and they had such a greater respect for each other and it helped that relationship grow and when when they can't get pregnant and you watch Monica struggling with that and struggling with that, she's always wanted a child. I mean, that's one thing you know from Monica from day one is she wants to get married and have babies. 
more than. But I've always tried to be such a good host. (laughs) And it's just so sad because it's like, you know, Chandler's reaction is, well, we're going to get a sperm donor when they have John Stamos on. (laughs) We're at dinner party. And, you know, because he's just like, no, I'm going to make sure you get pregnant. And then the fact that, no, she wants it to be, you know, if I can't get pregnant by you, I can't get pregnant. And I just think watching her go through that was such an interesting struggle. And I do know, I think Courtney Cox even went through pregnancy struggles. And I always wondered if that was hard for her to do that or if she said it was okay to use some of my own personal struggles or stuff. I just, I just have always been curious about that. Thank you, Rachel. Rachel agrees with me. Post four stuff is, post, post four is where the good stuff is. Thank you. <laughs> Even if you like Ross and Rachel together. <laughs> okay, so we're going to get into the guys now. Okay, and we, in our poll, I'm very, very, very happy to say <laughs> Ross didn't receive a single vote. <laughs> it's a deep state uh, propaganda against Ross Gellers of the world. <laughs> And Joey won. Aaron, Aaron found a way to scam the algorithm. And so did, the yep. poll did not appear on anybody's timeline who has ever said anything positive about Ross Geller. And if and they I voted think, for Ross, I just, I somehow deleted yes, it. You deleted it and you kept the poll going. I don't the know how, but we will find out. There will be an investigation. I want Votes you to know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was like, Ross is not getting a single vote. But this also means that Carla didn't vote because she could have voted loophole and she didn't. So that's because my favorite guy friend is Chandler and I wasn't going to game it (laughs) just to vote for Ross. Okay. So you said your favorite is Chandler. I can't start with my face. Okay. (laughs) I love Chandler so much. When I first started watching the show, I, he's the one that I related to the most because Everything that he was, that he, the way that he spoke even was just like the way that I spoke, like the, the, the cadence and the way that he would, the inflections that he would use were the way that I, that I spoke. And it, and it was just like, Oh my God, there's another one of me out there. And he's on TV <laughs> and he's pretty cute. But I, I really, I appreciated Chandler because he was, he had gone through a lot in life, but he still, had these great connections with his friends and his, and his, well, th- that was his family because like his actual family, he was kind of like, huh, I better not have anything to do with you guys. But he also had a, a lot of vulnerability, which I think is to me, what was most fun about him is that, you know, he's, he is very sarcastic and very caustic in a lot of ways. And, and it took him a long while to really let his guard down and really let people in. But there was always that undercurrent of just love for for his friends. And no matter how much he teased them, he was always really there for them. He was always willing to, you know, to help out in one weird way or another, even though, I mean, you don't want him babysitting because he will lose your child on a bus <laughs> because the oh, yeah. employee will want to scam on people. And then he will go and flip a coin to pick oh, yeah. which of those children is your actual child, which that's not how babies work. I mean, Ross wanted his own kid back. 
but he's still like a really warm, caring person. And especially as the show goes on and he grows and he becomes so much more than he was in the beginning where he, he's really developed fully. <laughs> there was the episode with, um, one of Rachel's sisters, the one played by Christina Applegate, which, okay. When it comes to guest casting, they had some amazing, wonderful people. They also had terrible ones because Brad Pitt sucked. That was a crappy. Funny, and I'm not a Brad Pitt fan, but he was funny because the writing was great, and he was surrounded by an amazing cast. He is a lousy TV actor. There, I said it. Will Colbert, his his character on that one Thanksgiving episode, was boring, and his delivery of lines sucked. But we're not here to talk about Brad Pitt. The Brad Pitt. We're talking about Chandler now. Chandler. Is it, it, so anyway that episode with the with the sisters arguing, he uh brings the fight down. He orders them to like you know speak to each other civilly to apologize to Monica, because they had not only disrupted the dinner but also broken one of her beloved dishes, and um got them to interact more civilly. And he did it in like such a perfect dad way, that it was something that you know you would not have expected from him in season one or two. Mm -hmm. And here he was like really stepping up. And being the mature person in the room, which what? Um, but he always kept his sense of humor, and he always did the right thing for his for his for the loved ones in his life. And he's cute. Yeah. If I had to mention that, I mean, he, I, he couldn't even rock Buck of Seagull's haircut. See, this is how Carla and I are going to maintain our friendship because I <laughs> I, I adore Chandler. So yeah, you'll, you'll hear me scream about him in a minute, and I'm really. Happy to hear that. Yeah. And, and Panda said Joey is her favorite and Cindy agrees with us that Chandler is the best. And yeah, oh. Joey, Joey is the one that did win the poll, Panda. I know you missed the poll, but Joey did win that one. So I like that, that, that I, well, first of all, because she says that I'm right, but Rachel says Carla couldn't be any more right. We love the Chan Chan man. Oh, yeah. House. Yeah. It's a Chan Wait, Chan I, man. Sorry. I missed her. Miss Chanandler Bong. <laughs> yeah. Cause I always. <laughs> You know, you end up repeating that too. Couldn't be, could I be anywhere? Right. Any more clothes? Even though that Joey says it that way, but still. Right. <laughs> but the, the, the essence. Like, yes. <laughs> but the still essence of the Chandler. And that's how I used to like go around saying stuff, you know, like, oh, could this be more ridiculous? Or, you know, like, <laughs> gosh, mom, could you be more annoying? But, I, you know. <laughs> yeah. Mostly in Spanish, but she got the gist. <laughs> and Susie, who's your favorite? Again, I really like Chandler, um, but like my just personal favorite is just like Joey because he is like the original himbo. <laughs> like he is the OG. It is true. <laughs> like he's pretty, but he's dumb. And he like, he sometimes does things with like the best of intentions, but they don't come out that way. Like I just, I think one of my, <laughs> it's just, Oh my god, like there's just so many moments where I'm just like, oh, you're so stupid, I love you. <laughs> like, uh, uh, I think one, like, story arc that I really liked was when him and, um, Chandler got, like, the duck and the, and the chicken. Yes. <laughs> like, that was just, like, so wholesome. Like, it was just like, oh, it's so sweet. But, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't really agree with some of his, like, choices that he makes, but, just, I think just overall, he's just like, he's just like a gold, again, he's like Buck, he's like a golden retriever as a human, you know? It's just like chaos that is somewhat contained. 
yeah. somewhat lightly. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah, completely mostly by Chandler. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes he lets go of the leash and stuff a while. <laughs> well, normally if you had a kid, normally the character like Joey, who's, you know, sleeps around, he, you know, picks up women all the time. He doesn't, like when he gets, um, oh my gosh, I just mentioned her, you know, the, the hot dancer. Um, <laughs> now I can't remember her name. What do you mean? And, you know, he's telling everybody that she's moving in. He's introducing her. She's like, yeah, I'm a dancer. He's like, you're a dancer. And he didn't ask her any questions. Didn't ask her where she was from. So he does all this stuff. But the way he's portrayed and the way that Joey LeBlanc does that and the way he's written, you can't you help Matt. <laughs> yeah, did I say Matt? Joey <laughs> The way Matt LeBlanc plays that character, <laughs> the way he's written, you could easily hate him, but you don't. You end up loving him, even though he, like, he's just, yeah. you know, he sleeps around. He doesn't. <laughs> yeah, like, on paper, this should be someone that I really hate, but yeah. just. Yeah. But that was also, like, partly a conscious decision on Matt LeBlanc's part, that he didn't want to play him the way that he, that he was written, not not straight out. He wanted to give him, um like, a warmer center mm -hmm. because otherwise you know when the whole joke is that it's a very boring joke and it gets old really fast nobody yeah. wants to see a total douchebag you know like you know in front of their tv mm -hmm. 7 unless you know you watch certain other shows where hey now hey hatred. now I didn't I, uh, mention the show specifically. Oh well, I thought you were done. Okay, well then you're not talking about that. You're talking about Gilmore Girls or something. I don't sure, know. sure. <laughs> no, she's like, she's like something else. <laughs> not 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 queer as well. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's what makes Joey so great is because you really some of the stuff he does, and on paper you should not like this person, but you do, and you root for him, and you know he has moments where he has feelings and emotions, and I'm one of the few people. I'm gonna get hate again. I'm one of the few people that actually thought the Rachel and Joey thing was really interesting. And I liked that storyline. I liked it. I mean, oh, what an interesting take. <laughs> I just, I don't know. I thought it was sweet. And I loved watching Joey um, having those feelings for someone and feeling so guilty about it. And then also, I don't know. I just thought it was, I thought it was sweet and cute. Yeah, like the moment that I really like is when he thinks like Phoebe is pregnant, and he's like, oh, yeah. "Listen, he's like, listen, I know I'm not like, I I'll do my best by you." Like, and even when right. she's like, um, and she's like, oh, "No, I'm not," and he's like, "But do you still wanna? Like, I'll, I'll still be there for you." It's like, no, it's good. It's just, just like, oh, look at him being so noble and just but sweet. also when and I, I know that that he was already it's him being like, I would provide for this child, right? Yes. But I, I know, like, he was already in love with Rachel at this point, but he's proposing to her. Well, he's, you know, he wants to propose to her and then he ends up stealing. But it was still very sweet that his first response is always to go to the max for his mm -hmm. friends. It's like, oh, where Tishy would do, let me give you the whole box. <laughs> you know, would you like my sleeve too? Because he's just like a very sweet, giving person. He's a lovely, lovely character. He is. He's really, really sweet. Yeah, he is. But my favorite, of course, is Chandler. And I think I love Chandler. I've loved Chandler since the beginning. I've always said of any of the three guys, he's the only guy I would consider dating. 
Um, and I know he's got his own issues, but I just think he's, he's grown a lot, kind of like Rachel. He's grown the most over the series. Again, I think his relationship with Monica helped with that a lot. And he's just, he's just so funny and sweet and charming. And I don't know. He's just, I just love him. I, I fall for those characters where they're dealing with their own self-esteem issues like he is. And then watching them grow and watching them get more confidence and liking themselves and being okay with who they are. And, you know, cause he also deals with the fact that no one can ever remember what he does for a living. <laughs> what he does for a living. And he's a transponster. <laughs> That's not even the word. Oh yeah. When, they were, when they're bedding the apartment, which was the episode that I forgot that I love so much. That's, that's a really good one too. Yeah. Yeah. He's just, oh, I just love him. I just love everything about him, even though he's got problematic elements to him. I know, I know, but he just cares a lot. And the way his friendship with Joey is such an interesting male friendship to look at because they both love each other so, so much. And even though, and we'll talk about it in a minute, the gay panic that happens a lot on this show, even though they, they deal with that and they, you know, have moments where they're like hugging and then they're like, maybe we hug too much. We shouldn't be hugging so much. But at the same time, they have this relationship where they can have those moments of being physical with each other and having those hugs and having, being okay with that and telling each other that they love each other, even if they don't outright say the words all the time. And you know, that you have the whole episode where Joey moves out, you know, after he's become a big success on days of our lives and he moves out. And, you know, he's there all alone and, you know, the all by myself song is playing and you see how, you know, they're just so, so meshed with each other and they love each other so much. And Chandler must have given Joey who knows how much money. I mean, he took care of him all the time, helped basically probably paid all the rent and still continued to help him after moving out. I mean, that's a really good friend. And he didn't do it because he ever thought he'd get repaid. He knew he was probably never going to see that money again. He did it just because he's a good guy and he wants to help people. And I think that's really at the heart of his character. And I think that's, and I'm so glad that he became a father because I think of all of them, he was like the one that just, I don't know, grew into it or deserved it. Or I think he didn't even think he could be a father. He even has that line where he says to the, them, to, um, Anna Ferris's character, when she's not sure she's going to choose them because, you know, their files get mixed up. And when he says to her, you know, I know Monica's going to be a good mom, but, I, you know, I don't know if I'm going to be a good dad. I don't know. I'll just learn about it. But I think he is naturally going to be a good dad because I think he grew into it and he grew up. And I think honestly, being Joey's friend helped prepare him for me. That's true. That's absolutely true. Because he helps him so much, but their friendship, I think, is just so great. And yes, he's got a good friendship with Ross too, but that's a totally different kind of friendship because they were friends and they're, they're more on the same level. And I think with Joey, it's more like Chandler helps Joey a lot. Um, and then I think Joey helps Chandler in different ways, but, um, but yeah, I just, I, I love Chandler. I think he's just amazing. And when it comes to, First of all, hi, Lauren. Yes, you showed up just in time for the Joey love. Um, <laughs> hi, Lauren. Uh, but I, what I 
one of the things that, that I love about this friendship of theirs is that, yes, there are moments of the gay panic and everything, but it's also, um, I think if they hadn't had that, that big open loving friendship, you wouldn't necessarily have, you know, like Gus and Sean on psych. Yeah. You know, like it's, it's, it's that, that same kind of, of just, best friends doing everything that they can for each other supporting each other unconditionally um it, it's also like um like jd and turk on scrubs where you know like a lot of the times they they put their friendship and love for each other above everything else including above their significant others mm-hmm. and it's it's not a bad thing i think that that just like you know when we're talking about cis hetero um representations on tv of which there are entirely too many <laughs> a lot of the times there's that insecurity of like oh my gosh how could why are you spending so much time with your with your friends because this is my best friend and i love him and i want to spend time with him but in in friends they really got that about about each mm-hmm. other you know they they never stood in the way of joey and chandler's passionate foosball infused you know best friendship and i have to say i love foosball okay i just want to throw that out there i used to play foosball all the time and when they got that foosball table because i watched this when it was originally on okay i watched friends during the whole original run it was our thing like we all tuned in to watch it It was this and then of course er and when I saw that foosball table, I was like, oh my gosh, I want to get a foosball table because I love foosball so, so much. And you don't see that. It's kind of like how when we were talking on two all the, I mean, it's not the same thing, but on the two all the boys uh, episode, we're talking about lacrosse. <laughs> and now that's the big thing. I think foosball became a big thing after this, or I could be wrong. You're right. A little bit. Yeah. But you're, I, I think fun. you're right. Yeah, that and air hockey. I used to love air hockey. <laughs> yes, too. I loved air hockey. I was never any good at it. I was just very, very violent. <laughs> I, I, was just, I would just return it like, oh, take that. Ooh. Like anything that I got through to the, other, to the other side was purely luck. It had nothing to do with strategy or aim. It was just the violence of, oh. Yeah. yeah, yeah. My granddad had one in the in the basement. He had that and a pool table because I love playing pool too. I'm not very good at it, but I love playing it. And he had that air hockey thing. We would just get really because it gets intense. <laughs> yes, yes, it <laughs> the does. Version of the hockey violence that you see. <laughs> All condensed in one small table. Yes. <laughs> I can never. I like foosball, but I can never play it. So mostly, what I like to do is just I like to make the men spin. <laughs> You just like watching men spin. I just like watching men spin. <laughs> men spin. The, the, what was it called? What was it that you called with the clown boobs? The hockey clown boobs. <laughs> ready. Okay. Okay. Are we ready? This is the moment. <laughs> I, We're going to talk I'm about tweeting, Ross now. What I'm tweeting right now is show up. The Ross Landers about to begin. This is where we've been hyping things up here because one of us, <laughs> between Carla and I, has a good opinion. The other doesn't. <laughs> so we're so going to talk about the dilemma. <laughs> I can't believe you just like showed yourself out like that. Like, wow. So we're going to talk about the Ross dilemma. And then Susie, 
you you're gonna chime in too because you know you'll okay, be I'm, the tiebreaker. I'm, I'm gonna be one of those spectators like at a tennis game. <laughs> Okay. All right, let's so do this. Carla, flying. <laughs> Carla, tell me why you think Ross is a good guy. <laughs> Here's the thing, Karen, if that's even your real name. I think <laughs> Ross is a giant pain in the butt. I think Ross is problematic as hell. I think he is a terrible partner. He is... He's actually not a terrible dad, though. I, you know, th- that's something that's, that a lot of people say, oh, he's such a bad dad. It's like, he's doing the best he can given the circumstances, but he is not a great coworker or colleague. He's volatile. He's all of this and all of that, but he is a great friend. He is a really loving brother because he loves his sister so much and he looks out for her so much and he really wants to make sure that she's happy his thing about her hooking up with chandler wasn't about you know anything to do with anything other than being worried about her um because he he never really said much about all of her other boyfriends or anything but her concern was okay well i know this guy i know what he's like he would have reacted similarly if she had been dating joey but he really cared about her not getting hurt he was always there for her whenever things went wrong for him wrong for her rather but he's always also there for his friends he's, he offers um his other friends his basically anything that that he has he's always willing to to help and i'm not saying that he's like the best guy on the planet not even on this show because as far as my my favorite characters, like he's not even in the top three of my favorite characters. I just think that he gets a really bad rap, and it's um it's easy to lay lay that on him because of the six of them. Frankly, like one of them has to be the quote unquote worst, and that ends up being him. He's very he's a total weenie. He's a total coward. But a lot of that stems from insecurity where he thinks that he's not, he's not good enough. I mean, his, his sense of himself as a spouse, as a partner was really shaken when Carol left him. And, you know, putting aside all of the homophobia, because we'll, we'll be speaking about that later. Um, because the way that the show wrote it that, you know, Carol left him for a woman and that's the most emasculating thing that you can do to a man. That, that's really like, it's, it's a cheap shot, first of all. And it's just really lazy writing. But as it speaks to Ross's behavior later on, Ross is terrified of being alone. And he's terrified of ending up in another situation where either he is married to somebody and finds something out about them down the line where the marriage will end something outside of, of himself. And also is terrified of of being alone and just wanting desperately to make anything work, like anything, uh, which is why I think after he he gets married to Emily, when he says Rachel's name instead of Emily's at the at the altar, mm-hmm. he really did love Emily. He loved Rachel, but I think he had kind of you know tamped that down and was really trying to make things work with with Emily because he did care for her deeply and he did love her, but he just didn't realize, I think. 
the strength still of his connection to Rachel until he saw her or until he blurted out her name at his wedding. Pick one of those. Um, <laughs> the one of the most objectionable, objectionable things he ever does is, well, two of them. One of them is that he doesn't annul the marriage to Rachel right after they come back from Vegas. He absolutely should have done that. He should have not lied to her and then dragged the whole thing on to where they ended up having to have, you know, an actual divorce, which is what mm-hmm. he wanted to avoid. He he could have avoided it just by having the annulment done in the first place. But I, I think, again, that comes from that place of, of loneliness and that deep insecurity. Plus it's Rachel and he really does love her and she really does love him. But it's it was a very messed up way to go about doing things. But I, I can... I don't condone it, but I understand from his point of view where he might have freaked out and not done the right thing in the first place. And then, of course, when he goes and tries to stop her from going to Paris to fulfill her dream, which that one was, I think, was the biggest thing that he did that he shouldn't have done. He should have found a way to make things work long distance. He should have maybe gone out there and spent some time with her instead of begging her to come back. And I think that that's something that that really, again, you know, again, this is the, the kind of thing where I can kind of understand him a bit because he is, he's already splitting his, his fatherhood time with, with Ben and being with Carol. The only reason I'm not mentioning her wife's name is because I cannot remember it for the life of me. It's not Julie because that was the other girlfriend. Carol and Oh my gosh, how could I forget? Carol's I wife. Okay, so Carol and Carol's <laughs> wife. So he's he's already not getting to spend the time with Ben that he would love to as his father. And Susan. He tried, Susan. Susan. Oh my gosh, thank, thank you. Thank you. Rachel. Oh, thanks, Lauren. <laughs> and, and Rachel. Rachel of course. The, the two sorters. Thank you, sort of brilliant podcast hosts, for bringing a very relevant piece of information to our mouths. But, you know, that's part of his terror with letting Rachel go is that, again, he he would be co-parenting with somebody who's now even farther away, making things even more difficult. So it's it's a lot of things going into it. And again, I'm not saying that it's ever right the way that he approached things. He had much better options available to him. But when you divorce the whole idea of of him just being selfish and and you you look at at the the bigger picture i think that it is hard to fault somebody for wanting to be a present parent to his child and now children because you know now it's two of them that he's not going to get to be around full time add to that david schwimmer's performance which of the six of them and i love all six of them david schwimmer is the absolute standout when it comes to to acting because he has you know he does the serious moments really well he does the the comedy fantastically he has he uses his face so brilliantly and and he does slapstick he does more subtle comedy i mean he he really can do everything and he really ross would be so much more i think he would be a lot less likable if it weren't for david schwimmer's portrayal of him um you have so many things that would be less endearing if they were played not by david trimmer he uh he has that he's you know 
he's th- this big goofy dude who makes big goofy things happen on screen. He sells them like nobody else. I mean, who else is going to do the the leather pants with the talcum powder in them the way that he does it? Um, yeah, the slap <laughs> himself on the forehead. The moment where he does where he's trying to teach Chandler the hug and roll. Oh hug yeah, for her roll for you. <laughs> hug for her roll for you which is one of my favorite ross moments ever but so yeah i'm I'm not saying that he's the best character or the best man even on that show i just really think that he that there are that there's a lot going on underneath the surface that not a lot of people are willing to acknowledge not to excuse his behavior but to give context to it and I, I'm also, I just want to point out here that it is absolutely, absolutely unforgivable that we are, what, an hour and 15 minutes into this? Nobody has, men- has mentioned Janice. That's true. Oh <laughs> my God. <laughs> Nobody has That's mentioned true. Janice. That's true. I'm embarrassed for the three of us. That's very true. <laughs> See, I don't want to mention Janice because then I would go on like, that would, for some reason, Okay, so I really, I really like Janice. I don't know why Chandler was like, like in the in the beginning when he was like, I really like her. She annoys me, and I'm like, but she's charming. That was again. That talking. might be because I really like the nanny, and she gives me like nanny vibes. <laughs> so like, I could you totally see dress her. Vibes. I could totally see her as being like a cousin of Fran. Like, oh, yeah. oh, here's my cousin Janice. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. That's like, funny. Like, the fact that she didn't do, like, a cameo in The Nanny is a crime. That's it's funny. a crime. I feel like, oh, oh. But I don't know. I just, I just, I, I like her. My little bingaling. Bing. Yeah, I mean, I mean, she's funny and she's amusing. She's not like my favorite, but she is funny and she's amusing. And yeah, yeah, she's she's really. But look at all of this Janice love. I mean, yeah, I know. Look at all in the comments. Neighbors in the comments. Yes, you know what? I could move into the house next door. Oh my god! You know, it'd be like a gag if like their kids grew up and their kids started dating, and he's just like, (laughs) oh my god. That She's probably would happen. I've seen your father's penis. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, that was that was a nice way of Carla trying to sidetrack. So <laughs> that was a nice little way to do that there. But none of this helps sway Aaron in the least about her hatred, her deep seated absolute loathing of ross geller okay see here's the thing about ross okay okay the thing about ross is the you know like i said the reason i love chandler and the reason i love rachel is they grew the most ross grew the least ross actually regressed he became worse and worse and worse and worse as the show went on i actually liked ross when the show first started i liked ross i loved ross and rachel when the show first started and then Ross became this controlling, manipulative, very kind of cold, um, arrogant. He's got a lot of arrogance to him. He thinks he's smarter than everybody else around him. And just because, you know, of his degrees. Well, 
he's smart in some, he's book smart, but he's not very smart in people's way. <laughs> but the thing, you know, I will give him credit for this. Ross is hilarious. And that is David Schwimmer. I mean, he's absolutely hilarious. I mean, he is so funny that I just, I mean, some of the things he, the most of the most memorable lines are his lines, the way he delivers them, the way he says them. I mean, we already said pivot. When he says, you know, the, my sandwich, my sandwich, and the way he says those and, you know, his facial expressions and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Yes. Yes. He does that so, so well. He's really, really funny, but that doesn't make up for the fact that he, you know, he hid the fact that he was married to Rachel. I get it. He doesn't want to be alone. Blah, blah, blah. I get that, but that is messing with somebody's life and the fact that you know i mean she's gonna have to always say that she was divorced she's gonna have to always put that on there and the fact that he kept that from her all because he was afraid of being alone and didn't want to be known as being the guy who got divorced three times whatever i mean that's your life it's because you fall into things too easily i think you know i'm not gonna fault him at all for dating the college students since i love brian so i can't really fault him for that Okay, I just, good. I was gonna say, <laughs> when are you gonna bring up the college student? And you're not, so I'm not because I was like, if I bring that up, because you know what, Erin, if you did, <laughs> if I bring that up, although the reason I was gonna bring it up is I was gonna say, hey, how can you rag on Brian when you're okay with Ross? <laughs> but Ross, you know, the fact that Ross manipulated the situation in season ten when. Rachel had this dream opportunity and he knew how important this was to her. The fact that she said, this is like when I moved here, I'm scared. Like when I left home, when I got on my own, when I got independence and he knows how important that is to her. And the fact that he then goes, tracks her down at the airport, does all that stuff that's supposed to be really romantic. To me, it was like so controlling and like, no, 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 no. You have to choose me over your dreams. It's me or your dreams. And that's such BS. You don't do that to someone that you love, in my opinion. And why couldn't he just flip and move there? He can move there. Why does she have to give up her dream? Why don't you go there if you love her so dang much? Why don't you let her, you know, have her dream and you go there? It just pissed me off knowing that's why I hate the series finale, spoiler alert, for friends, primarily because of that. Because I just think that's not a healthy relationship. That's not a way to build a healthy relationship. You should both want each other's dreams to come true. Um, but yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I just, I think he is, he regressed as the show went on. That's why I don't like him. The fact that he seems to look down on everybody, even Rachel. I don't think he respects Rachel a lot. He has no respect for Rachel. They were not on a break. I'm sorry, but you just, they were not on a break. If you're going to claim to love someone for like 15 plus years, and then the moment you break up, sleep with someone else. They weren't well, really, really love I'm sorry. What? Or do you Are we seriously you have having this discussion right now? claim on her. I... I cannot believe I'm hearing this. In 2021, they were absolutely on a break. Right in front of your salad. Boom. I'm just going to go there. They were absolutely on a break. But if you're going to say that you love someone for 15 years and then be like, oh, I guess I'm just going to go sleep with this chick. 
Like, yeah, if, and if you like love what her, about it? What's love? There's nothing to do with love. And he's like, oh, and the, like the I hate Rachel club, the freaking rumors. <laughs> yes, a teenager was like a being a total on like, her and like what face? No, me. no. Let's back up a moment. He lost me as a partner. Let's no, 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 no. Yes, because we were on a potential partner for Rachel. The instant he wrote that stupid list. The no, minute see, I was still on their side then, I will say. Absolutely the not. The minute he wrote that stupid, <laughs> stupid list. No, there's was, nothing wrong no, no, with no, writing no. a list. The minute that he wrote the stupid list saying, just a waitress, like, oh, you're just going to diminish her accomplishment <laughs> of breaking free from her parents' money and striking out on her own, just like that. Like, oh, just, just a waitress. Just like, <laughs> yeah. what and in the tickets are you doing, sir? And he even admitted that that was screwed up. So, no. But no, I was just up, was like, I can't believe someone is going to make lists about me. Like, yeah, he, he said he was sorry that one time. But then, like, if it was Who me, I'd be, list? like, thinking mentally in my head, this Here's the thing. going to be making lists big... about me in his head with every, like, little thing. And okay. it just, it always felt like I their relationship was, like, on eggshells. Nothing wrong I with trying to figure out trust your priorities and trying to understand. Never, like, that whole thing with Matt when he, he said, had just oh, been cheated he got on. The job? And he was no, left. He can't be I know, I know nice. that, but and, I know. And it's like, well, yeah, maybe. I love how you're still like, talking through all of this. Me, like, weird possessive <laughs> vibes, sir. Well, if you like, like with all like the freaking like ladybugs and the flowers and the property of Ross poster right in her office, I'm like, sir, please. And she's like, oh, what do you want me to do? Wear a billboard with a bell saying property of Ross? Just like no. And the fact that he just like wouldn't let her go to France for like her dream job. What in the oh, what in the caucasity? Also. I'm just, I'm going to also blame this on his upbringing too, because like we've seen it throughout the whole show and we've seen it with his parents that he was very much like the golden child, like the preferred son, like that he could do no wrong. And so he was never really being used to being told no because he was just like, oh, yeah, my perfect baby, my perfect son. We can't make Ross's room into a gym because it has his medals and his trophies and blah, blah, blah. And poor Bonnie are getting like the shaft every freaking time. Yeah, yeah, I'm gonna bring that to his upbringing because he's like, I'm not willing to make any changes to my life. Wow, that was so. Could now, can other people speak? Would that be okay? I didn't even try. Right. I'm guessing the answer is still no, but you just let me know. I'm well, saying I'm ready for say, other voices. I'm getting my first. I'm out. <laughs> okay, so now, if I may. Again, okay. I hear you already, argument, Carla, and I respect it, but I just, I don't know. Like but Ross. you brought up other things I'm that I refer, hadn't brought up. I'm going to refer to him as my mom refers to him. Like, whenever she sees him on screen, she's like, the pinche rolls. Like, yeah, that's, that's just. When it comes okay. to the, it was like we were on a break thing, though, which I'm I did out. not mention before because I didn't think it was an issue, seeing as how they were on a break. I think that's one of the things where they had been able to already move past it. So I didn't even think it was a moot point with Ross and the whole, we were on a break thing. They had decided, or rather Rachel had been the one to unilaterally decide, which is fine. I'm not saying that it's not okay for her to decide that let's take a break here. And yes, he goes off and immediately hooks up with somebody, but it wasn't like 
he went off and gave his heart to somebody. He was sad and lonely, felt rejected again, and felt like maybe, you know, he's unwantable and everything. So he just went and had sex, which meant nothing. And he was drunk and she was drunk and that was it. And frankly, it was, it's not something like where he was planning on moving on with, with, in with this girl. Was it the Kinko's then or the, whatever, the copy shop girl. So there wasn't like a love connection there. It, it wasn't like an alienation of affection that, you know, in South Carolina in the 2010s, you could sue for alienation of affection. We're good there. Ross's feelings for Rachel never changed. He just needed some validation. And that was all that there was to it. And when we're talking about uh the airplane thing and her leaving repairs, I already said that was really messed up. So nobody's arguing on that point. He absolutely shouldn't have. He absolutely should have just let her go, join her later, figure something out. No arguing with you there. But all I am saying is that when it comes to a lot of things, Ross is made out to be this awful villain where he's really not an awful villain. He's he he makes a lot of bad decisions and he makes a lot of mistakes. But it's not like like Rachel didn't have a choice. Rachel absolutely had a choice. She made the choice to get off the plane. Yes, Ross should never have put her in the position to have to make the choice, but she got off the plane all on herself, all on, on her own. Okay, she may have make, made the choice to get off the plane by herself. But yeah, you're you're in love with someone, so you're going to do that. And I hate that they had her do that. It was, yes, it was her decision, but that doesn't negate the fact that it was really crappy for him to put her in that position. And he does that all the time. He does that to people constantly. And I don't think he's a villain. I would never call him a villain at all. No. I just think he's just... An immature, guy. he's an immature little brat. And what bugs me about him is the fact that he just, like I said, he did, everyone else grew and changed and he didn't. I mean, I don't think Phoebe necessarily did, but he didn't at all. He like totally regressed. He got worse. He got really possessive. He's kind of almost stalkery at times. Not stalkery, I guess isn't the right word, but he's kind of like this, he's kind of creepy. Um, yeah, no, I just agree, like, but this is he's just, what I was oh, saying earlier possessive. about, yeah, about the final seasons. Everybody became a character, caricature of themselves, with the exception possibly of Chandler. Chandler's the only one who was really out, well, and Phoebe. They were the only ones who were, who were allowed to flourish in those last, especially the last season, but definitely in the last two or three. Because, um, like I said, Monica just became this screechy, um, hyper controlling person. Ross became equally screechy and also controlling guy. Um, Joey became Joey and, and to a degree also Phoebe were shown to be just like less and less capable and intelligent people as the show wore on, especially Joey. Joey was reduced to basically, you know, a child. That's true. By the end. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think this is more a matter of as the show wears on, particularly into a 10th season where it could have comfortably ended at seven. Um, this is poor writing. This is um, poor decision-making by the showrunners just for the sake of keeping tension. And this is something that, you know, Meg and I have brought up in the past. Shout out to Meg that 
this idea that you have to constantly keep um obstacles in the way of couples mm-hmm. really can ruin your perception of that couple and your your ship to a degree because you know um i i think like most people on the planet shipped ross and rachel in the early beginnings in the early part of the show mm-hmm. but as a, as the show went on i was like why do you, you know, if you're going to have them together, have them together. If they're not going to be together, have them apart. But stop playing this game because it's no longer fun. It's no longer interesting. And they kept trying to center the show around Ross and Rachel and the would, will they, won't they, to the detriment of the growth of a lot of other storylines and characters. Um, so, oh, and, and also, like, Rachel became a caricature of herself in a way because she, um, even though she is of the women, she's the one who, who, I mean, you could argue that, that she grew the, the most. I, I still say it's Phoebe, but I can absolutely see the argument for Rachel being the one who grew the most. But with a lot of the things that happened with, with Rachel in those last couple of seasons were really centered around getting her back with Ross. And that doesn't make her less of an important female character doesn't make her less of a strong independent woman it makes her a victim of a show going on too long with too few good ideas on keeping something fresh no i i get that i think ross was going downhill way before that though that's my issue as because i like i said i liked ross when the show first started i liked ross and i was like rooting for ross but i think he started going downhill after he after he wouldn't read the letter that she wrote him, there was something about that that even though I understand because it was a long letter, but it was something about that where that was one of his things where he's like looking down on her and not showing her respect, you know. So I think that's 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 where he started going downhill for me. I never did like watching him though. That's the thing is that and that's totally to David Schwimmer's credit that I never stopped liking watching him or enjoying his storylines. And sometimes I found him really funny. And I want to go to just a couple of comments in our live stream here, because I think it's so, it's so awesome that there's all this, this side debate going on here. Um, Cause I know a lot of, I think what people are saying with the break thing is that um, like Panda says that I, I don't agree with the on the break thing, but it was a one-time thing. I think it felt emotional to Rachel. And I think the reason it hurts so bad is Ross had been so jealous of Mark this whole time and thinking Mark was, you know, taking her away from him and he wasn't. And so I think to her, it was like, kind of like, I don't know, like you did this because you thought I was with Mark. You thought I was going to cheat on you. So you don't respect me enough to, or trust me enough. And I understand he's got trust issues galore. But I think that really hurt her because she felt like, okay, you don't trust me enough and you think this is happening. And so you're going to react to that by sleeping with someone instead of like talking to me and yes, they're drunk, whatever. But it's still, I think that's just, I think she felt disrespected more than anything. I think that was a big problem for her is well, that. Yeah. And then, um, and then I want to go to a couple other here. And then, um, as Rachel says, I think Ross and Rachel both make dumb mistakes and choices. And then, yeah, later issues are hugely because the writers made them caricatures. And yeah, I agree. Rachel does stupid things too. Rachel makes a lot of mistakes too. I just think Ross's hurt more and seem more, I don't know, cutting. 
I think there's a part of him that has always felt like this, like he's the last choice of people or he's always felt like the geek and the outsider. So I think sometimes when he does things, it's out of this uh, low self-esteem place. So he feels like if he attacks people, I don't know, he'll seem better or if he lords his his um, intellect over people, then it'll make him feel less inferior. So I think that's a lot of what he does is he uses that a lot. Posturing. Yeah, yeah. But and so I think he really knows how to cut people really, really quickly and to the core and just to the heart of things. And he plays on people's own insecurities. And his whole thing when when Phoebe thought her mom was reincarnated in the cat and that whole stuff of not believing her. And I understand that. But the way he approached that was more like this is important to her. So just believe her just because it's important to her. That's all you have to do is believe her for that. And I think Ross struggles with that. And I've known a lot of Rosses in my life. And I think that's probably another reason I've known a lot of guys. I went to high school with these guys. I hung out with these guys right out of high school where they wanted to debate the color of the sky with you just because they wanted to prove you wrong somehow because they had these insecurities. And I think that's why he bothers me so much because it's just like he, he acts so superior and he's not superior at all. And he will throw people under the bus quickly because he doesn't want to look inferior to certain people. And that just, that just really bothers me. But I think a lot of the comments in our live stream right now are pretty awesome to watch. I, and I, like I, to I like to highlight Rachel's comment about um, the Geller parents, because she's dead on the Geller parents really messed up both Ross and Monica. Like they, they mm-hmm. put, uh, oh, they put so sure. much in Monica. Like they treated Monica awfully when they, when they said, you know, pulling a Monica being, mm-hmm. you know, failing at something basically what does that say to your kid you know that you expect failure from them so that that's all that they can ever be the fact that monica becomes as successful and independent and um and all of that as she is is a testament to her will to to be her own person and to succeed on her own terms but it definitely pops back up in the way that she is so over the top uh perfectionist and controlling and all of that it's you know those are a lot of things that you see with with kids who are brought up that way who are the second children and who feel like the unwanted child on top of it because they make it very clear that they could have stopped at one mm-hmm. which is I, I i you know i'm the oldest and Honestly, I mean, come on. They really could have stopped at one. But no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I love my sisters. My sisters are <laughs> perfect human beings themselves. But I do know a lot. <laughs> I was about to do a spit take there. <laughs> I mean, come on. They broke the mold. I mean, like, honestly, like, why would you go back for seconds after this? No, but, um, but I, I've known a lot of, of, younger sibling type people who have felt like this, like the parents um, treated them like, Oh, you know, if we had known what you were going to be like, we would have stopped at one. And that is something that you should never say to a child. And yet people do it all the time. They, they, they say it as if it's a joke and, Oh, you should lighten up, you know, you should, you know, grow tougher skin. That's not how that works. Just don't say that to your, to your child. Period. It's mm-hmm. just never okay to treat a child like that. And that's how Monica was treated. 
But on the other hand, you have Ross, who was put in the position that a lot of oldest children are put in, which is you have to be the example. You have to be the perfect one so that your sibling can look up to you and have somebody to model themselves after. And that's not fair either, because it's it's entirely too much to put in a kid to be perfect so that the next kid behind you can be perfect. And then you see that kid being treated the way that Monica is being treated, and that spurs you harder to be even more perfect and to be even, you know, better than the best, because then you feel like you're failing, because if this person is being told of their failure, that's on you for not living up to the expectations of being a good example. So, mm-hmm. um, but that's a lot of psychology for basically me to say that, that the Geller parents had a lot of influence in the way both Monica and, mm-hmm. um, and Ross grew up and be, be, became the adults that they became. Yeah, no, I, I, yeah, yeah I mean, you really see still it. abuse. Yeah, you yeah. really see it. You really see people. it. You really see it in the episode where they go and they're cleaning out the garage and all yeah. of Monica's boxes are used to block the water from the Porsche and all that kind of stuff. And how, you know, it just kind of goes to show that she always felt she was last and she was bottom. And then, you know, I mean, yeah, they give her the Porsche, but that's just a way of kind of easing their guilt. You know, that's just the way the dad just is like, okay, I'm going to ease my guilt here a little bit. But yeah, it totally, totally. I mean, the the parents are in the wrong a lot. You know, they really are here. I I will give you that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but as as Rachel's Rachel's like, remember yeah. he made Joey and Rachel Thinas. <laughs> like something that also gets me about um like the parents is that when the grandma dies and they go to her funeral, mm-hmm. and Monica's mom looks at her and goes, yeah, but none of this would have been good enough for her. She would have criticized me and. Monica tells her, like, oh, if you could do it again, would you tell her? And she was like, no, because it's better when everyone gets along. And it's like, well, you, you received what I would assume to be is either, like, somewhat the same level or a similar experience of emotional abuse from your mother, and you're continuing the cycle. That's great. And yeah, I feel, mm-hmm. I feel like maybe one of, like, Monica's probably driving points to being a mother is to like not make the same mistakes her mother made and to actually be a caring gift parent for her child. But I think you also see that in her relationships with her friends because she really, Mm -hmm. she really wants to be there for, she, she wants to be the person whose house they come to for that love, Mm -hmm. whether it be in the form of a hug because she's very free with hugs and with verbal praise or for, you know, cookies or for a meal she wants to be somebody that people feel comfortable going to and i think that's just partly monica's nature but it's also partly um the legacy of wanting to get away from what her parents particularly her mother were to her because they treated her horribly and they made her feel excluded from her own family they made her feel less than everybody else not even just her brother although that was certainly present but anybody else was better than Monica. You know, they constantly compared her to Rachel. Because yeah, Rachel it's like was the, like, it's like the, it's like Buck's thing with his parents. You know? I don't know who Buck is, but I'll take your word for it. 911? <laughs> I don't watch 911? Oh, that Buck. Yes. Okay. Yes, 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 yes. yes. I maybe you were talking about. It's like his thing with his parents. And, yes. And them just. Fully agree. 
Yeah, no, I I think, and I, you know, that episode that you were talking about, Susie, with the funeral, the interesting thing about, about, about that episode is that I think that her, her mom, Monica and um, Chandler, I'm Chandler, Monica and Ross's mom knew that what she was doing was like what her mom did. And she knew that that's what uh, Monica was going to say. And so I think the reason she said that is she didn't want to hear that. She didn't want to hear that she was perpetuating that string of like, you know, all the, you know, criticisms and everything like that. And I think, you know, Monica's OCD probably also stems from that a lot too, is having to make everything perfect. And, you know, and of course we're going to get into it here in a minute because we're going to talk about some of the problematic stuff like the gay panic and then the fat phobia, which is rampant in the show. And so of course you have that when she is struggling with her weight when she's younger and the way she's treated because of that, you know, the whole scene in the Thanksgiving one where after, you know, Chandler says those horrible things about her and then she can't eat. She doesn't want to finish the pie because her mom's like, finish this pie so that I don't have to put it in, put it away basically and to get room. And they're just like, Oh yeah. Um, yeah. Finally she's full. And it's just, you've done it. She's full. And it's just this way of just like so condescending and cold and callous. And it's just horrible. It's funny how, you know, it's funny because you look at a sitcom like this and you think you're not going to get any serious, serious, deep psychological conversations. But there's a lot there to unpack. So I I just want to quickly say to both Bailey and Lauren, apparently, who have never watched 911 in their lives. I've never watched 911. (gasps) Okay, listen. Listen. Now me and Carla are going to get into it. (laughs) You. The no, first season I love is more a little rough. Yeah, yeah. If you can get past rough. the first season, you're really into it. But soon you will want to adopt Buck as one of your own. Yes, like, you <laughs> will not think so at the beginning, but eventually You'll you be will. Like, so you should probably watch nine one one. Just yeah. will it be a character that there. will be in my favorite male tier? <laughs> I, you know what? I think yeah. he might. I really do think yeah. he might. Like Him he goes through such both. a character growth. Like mm-hmm. oh my gosh amazing you're gonna love like i I, i'm sitting here thinking of at least five people that you're absolutely gonna love (laughs) and bailey i'm sorry that you've had a terrible night and i'm really glad that that you're enjoying that you're enjoying our little our our uh, our, our shenaniganizing our our lighthearted debate y'all don't know (laughs) how gagged i was when i found out 911 was made by ryan murphy yeah i was like and and I'm yes. a one lone star. I was like, this man has his fingers in all the pies. He does, because this show is completely something not that you would expect from him. But okay, sorry, I know, sorry, right? to, to yeah. derail. So he goes, he goes all, yeah, no, 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 yeah, he goes all not, over. But but this is like such a departure from so much else. Yeah, because I we're actually going to be covering Ryan Murphy, everybody. We're going to be covering <laughs> Glee. We're going to be covering American Horror Story. We're going to be covering American Crime Story, and we're going to be talking about Nip Tuck. But anyway, okay, let's get back to friends. <laughs> We're back from this commercial break. <laughs> this Ryan Murphy break. Hi, Fox Network, please send us dollars for this 15-minute segment just about Buck and Eddie in 911. <clears throat> Even though you make us mad. I'm sorry. Yes. <laughs> okay, so back to friends. So let's talk about the problematic stuff in France, okay? So we're going to talk about gay panic, first of all, because 
that's a big thing here. Transphobia, of course, too. <laughs> Everybody's cracking their knuckles getting ready. <laughs> because, especially when you watch this show now, it's <laughs> it's even worse now than when it was originally on, honestly. Yes. Yes. So, uh, Carla, your thoughts on the gay panic problem? This is just dropping my phone and getting ready to be all up in your face and being like, oh, let's talk about that, please. Okay. This is one of those shows that absolutely standardizes and normalizes gay panic because of its popularity. It, it's probably the show that is the most thought of when you think of 90s television, when you think of early 2000s television. Um, it's one of the most popular shows in the world mm-hmm. and it spends a lot of time being terribly, terribly homophobic. Um, the gay panic is something that a, a lot of, it, it, as Meg likes to say, it's something that was accepted, but not acceptable. And that's absolutely true. Um, they weren't the pioneers in this. It, this has gone on for time immemorial. But I think because of the pro- the high profile that that um, Friends had, it absolutely does stand out. And it starts from the very, very beginning where you think, and I think that the, the show pats itself on the back a lot for having, um, for showing the first, I think it was the first gay kiss, definitely, I believe, the first gay marriage with Carol and Susan, where they um, they have their, their wedding and they kiss. But as much as the show likes to tout that as being the big moment of gay positivity, there are so many instances in which, you know, if um, if any of the boys hug each other too long, it's like, oh, that's gay. Mm-hmm. Where a lot of the times people mistake Joey and Chandler for lovers and they freak the hell out about it. Um, there's a lot of that episode with Winona Ryder where... She and um, she's pretending that she doesn't remember Rachel's recollection of them making out mm-hmm. um, with the coconuts, you know, knocking against each other and whatever. It, it's something that went into gay panic so quickly and it was so awful because it, it could have been a much better episode. Um, it could have been a, a good representation of like of bisexuality because Phoebe was clearly, at least in, in my perception, was clearly not straight. Phoebe was very free and open with, you know, with flirting with women and, you know, kissing women. And she didn't have any real hangups about it. But they made it seem like a quirk of Phoebe's where Phoebe is just, oh, she's just one of those kooky people. She just does whatever mm-hmm. she feels like it at the moment. And it wasn't a matter of her being bisexual. It's, it, it, or at least that's what the show wanted you to believe. It's a matter of her being weird. And that is grossly biphobic. And it really angers me that a lot of people grew up with this perception of Phoebe as wacky and weird because she was bi. Um, which the show goes to no length whatsoever to, uh, to make canon other than to normalize it as a quirk. But I think like most shows do, they focus on men and men's relationships and men um, making it very, very clear that they're just bros. It, it's, I don't think it's any coincidence that we have 
when it comes to, you know, when you're looking at a timeline, there is a big overlap between friends and shows like Supernatural, where they spent 11 years denying a connection between Dean and Castiel as anything other than platonic. Same as you do in Friends, although in Friends, yeah, I, I do strictly believe that Joey and Chandler were just friends platonically, but because they played any other kind of connection for laughs, it became even more accepted that any kind of male-male deep relationship could be played for laughs by by hinting at gayness. Mm-hmm. And um, and I give Supernatural Zero credit for for embracing Castiel's love for Dean as anything but as uh as romantic because it could have gone 15 steps further way before they they did but that's not what you're here, here to discuss it's just like a, a problem that i think is being part of the same thing it all yeah. stems from that same issue of we can't have two men being in love on screen two women being in love on screen is a lot more acceptable because there's the titillation factor mm-hmm. of like ooh, how girls getting it on Ooh, everybody loves to see that but even that is not born of acceptance of of sexuality. It's born out of um, sexualizing asexuality. And that's disgusting. And I think that as much as Friends was just part of its time and just part of that culture that was there well before they came on the scene, they certainly did their part to normalize it and make it even more uh present and it, it just it's part of its legacy and it's something that it has to deal with and accept as part of what people will think of when they think of friends mm-hmm. very 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 well put and i just want to go to a few of the comments just because i've just been watching this too but yeah that was very very well put carla just really really well put and it, yeah, I agree. Rachel, Rachel's talking about how it's incredible how hard it hits now versus how normalized it felt back then. And that's so true. Cause yeah, yeah, like she said, she's rewatching the show currently and it's just constant oof. Yeah, exactly. I agree. Yeah. It's because it is sad because the funny stuff is genuinely funny. Like you say, Rachel, and you can see they're capable of not punching down like that. So just, you know, why, why? And of course you also had. Uh, Will and Grace came around during the whole time when Friends was around. And I have my own issues with Will and Grace. I, th- I think it was a good show and it was groundbreaking. Uh, but you know, it's, it's funny because you wonder if that was kind of in reaction to this in some ways because it's on the same network. It was on at the same night. You know, you had it kind of coming on after this. I think it came on after this. And then Bailey says there that Dawson's Creek had a gay kiss early on. I think they did, yeah, but I think Friends was before Dawson's Creek, so, but I don't yeah, know. Also, um, sorry, um, also the, the wedding for Carol and Susan, they didn't kiss in it. Um, oh, yeah. The actresses, right. the actresses themselves said that they didn't even think about filming it because they, like the student was like, no, we can't do that. You can have them get married, but you can't have them kiss. And, oh, really? Yeah. Wow. And even we're just so, the wedding itself. Mm-hmm. was like a really big point of contention because some studios didn't even want to like run the yeah. episode and would have like blackouts or something. 
Was it Ellen then? Was it Ellen that had the first? Because Ellen was, and I know Roseanne. Roseanne had a, a kiss between Roseanne and another woman. They kissed on the show. And I know that was a big deal. Um, so I, yeah, I mean, yeah. Um, but yeah, I think, yeah, I love the conversation that's going on in the live chat. I just wanted to highlight that again because I just really, it's awesome to see this everybody kind of on the same, the same, the same page there on that. So. Susie, what are your thoughts about the gay panic? Again, like, it has a lot of really fun moments, and I feel like one of its weaker points is when it has to, like, rely on that, like, making fun of, like, you have, like, having, like, gay people be the butt of a joke, or having gay panic be the joke. Like, oh no! Like, no, we're not together, we're friends! And just, like, or, like, one of my least favorite moments I think of Chandler is when he keeps, like, freaking out why everyone thinks he's gay. He's like, what is it? Why does everyone think I'm gay? What is it about me? And da, da, da. Like, tell me, tell me. And, mm-hmm. and another point that I, I kind of don't like about Chandler is, is just like his big, like, transphobia over his, over his mom. Mm-hmm. And I think she is trans. Like she goes by, like, I think she goes by she, her and like presents as women most of the time. But again, like friends, isn't that good, I feel. Uh like that whole arc where he goes and sees his his mom show be the last gigas? Gigas. Gigas. Yeah, and it's and it's cause I think even like friends didn't even know where like the line was between like this is what a trans person is and this is what a drag queen is. Mm-hmm. And they just kinda like use those terms interchangeably because I feel like to them that's all the same. And then that le- itself comes with its own set of problems. Like, no, this is something else and this is something different. Like, you can do this without, like, perpetuating and representing these, like, harmful stereotypes. Because, yeah, even though, like, it was progressive in a sense of having, um, like, Susan and Carol, like, co-parenting, uh, Ben with Ross, it, it also makes them the butt of a lot of jokes and, it's also like a constant thing. Also, a point of Ross that kind of like irked me was when his son has the Barbie doll. Yes. Yeah. And mm-hmm. he just freaks out over it. And it just like keeps pushing and pushing. Like, no, my son can't play with the doll. My son can't play with the doll. And something that made me laugh about the end of the episode is that his sister is like, why are you being such a hypocrite? You did the same thing. Like, why are you acting like this? Like, this is fine. It's normal. And stuff like that is, I think, especially if, like, a young child sees it, they could be like, oh, no, I can't, like, that can do, like, even further harm, especially if they get it from, like, their family or from their friends, and now they get it from, like, a TV show they really like, or stuff like that. Mm-hmm. It's just, like, some things it does really well, but I think that it definitely could have, like, worked well without having to, like, fall back on that kind of, on those kind of jokes. Because they have like good episodes besides that. It's just like when those episodes come up, it's like, ugh. here we go. Mm-hmm. And I know, you know, I will say, I know when the show was first on, I laughed at some of those episodes. I will say, I mean, it's not, so, yeah, it's not something that I didn't laugh at. I'm not going to sit here and say, you know, back then I was like, oh. And now when I watch it, I'm like, oh, ah, yeah, cringe, cringe. Like the one where Joey and Ross are taking naps together mm-hmm. that whole thing and i know when yes. that was first on i was like this is the funniest episode it's so funny and now i watch it and i'm like this is so cr-. 
cringy. Yeah, like, and I'm yeah. not going to say that I didn't, like, laugh at them. Like, at the time that I watched them, I thought they were funny. But when you mm-hmm. get older and when you come across all these different viewpoints and you come to learn mm-hmm. more stuff from other people, and in my case, when you learn more things about yourself, that's when you're like, okay, okay, guys. Mm-hmm. Right, because then it, it becomes a matter of really understanding, okay, what's the punchline here? Is it a joke or is it a person? Yeah. And absolutely to the last one, when it comes to these kinds of, of jokes, the visual jokes, the gags, the actually spoken jokes, for sure, it came down to, um, these actions representing gay people and it had nothing to do with it actually being funny. It's just what we're told is funny. And we're told that two guys having a nap together and enjoying a nap together is gay, therefore funny, which mm-hmm. is really, um, Lauren made a good point earlier in, in the, the comments that, you know, uh, it can screw with you as a kid because you're, you're internalizing this, these phobias and you're internalizing that you're a punchline and that any inclinations that you have outside of heterosexuality are a punchline. So you'll laugh with them because you think you're supposed to, especially with a show with a laugh track like Friends, you think you're supposed to be laughing at these things. There's no real self-examination, especially in the 90s and early 2000s. Or even now, if you don't have access to a community that's not straight, where you think that, well, they're, you know, they're laughing, therefore it must be funny. If I'm not laughing along with it, then I'm not getting the joke. And just because I feel like I would also enjoy a nap with somebody who, you know, who shares a gender with me. Mm -hmm. It's also funny because we're the joke. Yeah, I guess that must be right. And that, that's awful for, for a young person to, to live through and to have to fit into their head when they feel like it's not right. And that's the instinct that correct. It's not right. It's not okay. It's not actually funny. And it's not fair that these are things that, that, uh, that young people had to contend with in that time. And I think that in a lot of ways, in a lot of shows, it's improved, but it's nowhere near where it, where it needs to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I, I, and you know, you'll even look at shows that were trying to, bring awareness like my favorite show is queer as folk but queer as folk has a lot of issues there queer as folk has a lot of issues with dealing with bisexuality is a big thing and that's a big thing that you know that because you'll find within lgbtqia communities you'll still find some phobias within that community you'll find transphobia within that community you'll find biphobia within that community because you know, I, I was recently—I don't know if anyone else—it's actually really, really good, and I highly recommend this, especially if you watched it originally when it aired. But the original season of The Real World—they did a reunion, and it's really good. I'm serious; it's really, really good. And they talked a lot about that. How Norman on there, who was bisexual, and he said that on The Real World, and he talked about how he had a lot of people in the community coming up to him and saying, you're not bi, you're not bi, you just haven't come out of the closet fully yet and you're not going to be, you know. So even when you are trying to even open up doors and be okay, like I think 
with friends, they were like, well, we have a lesbian couple on here, so we're okay. But at the same time, we're transphobic. And at the same time, two guys can't have a nap together. That's, ooh, that's gay. You know, that kind of thing. So you'll still have that. You had a lot of, you had some of that on, on Will and Grace, too. You had some bad stuff there. Will and Grace was a very, it was basically, in my mind, Will and Grace a lot of times was made for a straight audience to be like, okay, you can handle these gay people because they're not going to be, it's not going to be completely sexual and they're going to be very easy to, you know, digest. And I, so I think it's just, it's this ever growing, changing thing where sometimes things are done really well. And then sometimes there will be something where they're trying, but they still need to take steps and get better and get more representation in certain areas and, you know, confront their own phobias within it. And friends, I think the reason everybody looks at it now is because it's still so popular. People are still discovering this show. They discovered it when it came on Netflix and now it's on, um, you know, now it's on HBO Max, of course. And so everybody's rediscovering this show. And when you're watching it through this lens, you see the problems even clearer, which is not an excuse at all for the show. It's just that's what I think happens. And like you said, Susie, you grow too when you see that. I do want to point out that in the 90s, there was the show My So-Called Life, which we're going to cover. And in My So-Called Life, that was the first first show on network television where you had an out gay male teenager. And the character of Ricky was so important, I think, to teenagers and to that landscape because it was incredible to have that character. So I just, I want to point that out because I think there were shows during that time that were trying, but they got so much pushback that they just couldn't fully succeed. Yeah, Buffy too. Yeah, yeah. Rachel points out Buffy too, despite Willow and Tara being a huge and loved couple. Xander is such a homophobic little ass much of the time. Yeah, I, I know what you're talking about there. And it also, you know, the show did a whole frigging thing with with Tara. With Tara. With Tara. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's also that. It's such a slap in the face that they give that um, Buffy the Vampire Slayer gives one of the best, most positive representations of two women loving each other mm-hmm. fully, devotedly. And they have their, their issues in their, in their relationship, which I think is great that they presented those because it presents a real relationship. Relationships aren't easy. They're not smooth sailing. And then they kill off half of the of the ship for no real reason and i think that you know rachel points out that xander is so homophobic and i think and i've mentioned this before that i think joss whedon writes himself into these shows in the male characters and whatever male lead Mm -hmm. he, he finds so i absolutely think that xander as the proxy for joss whedon is telling you who joss whedon is yeah, and I and I didn't have as many issues with Xander as most people did. But yeah, I agree with that. And we're going to be talking about Buffy as well. Again, we're going to be revisiting Buffy, but we're going to talk. Yeah, and Carla will be on that. We're going to mainly talk about the struggle with the fact that Joss Whedon is such a complete and total scumbag and struggling with that fact of still loving the art that he has created. So, so yeah. Okay, well, let's go on to another big issue they have in here. There are two more issues I want to talk about with this. and. First one is fat phobia, because I think you have to touch on that because, of course, you had Monica that she was, um, fat as a, t- you know, as a teen and then in college and she would wear the fat suit 
Um, so what are your thoughts on all the fat phobia? It wasn't just with her that they had fat phobia either. But. No, for sure. They they made it very clear that they didn't care for for fat people. They didn't even care for non-skinny people who, you know, when we think of, of fat, what are we really thinking of? Especially in the 90s when you had the heroin chic look, mm-hmm. when you had Kate Moss being the top supermodel, when you had a lot of really hyper skinny actresses on the air. Um, not the least of which were Jennifer Aniston and Courtney Cox. Um, and anything with a gram of fat above that was unacceptable. And it, it, it's a, a tried and true phenomenon that on any TV show, particularly in the, in that time period, the longer the show went on, the skinnier the woman got, whereas the man yeah. could comfortably get heftier. Uh, you have that even in, in a show that I tout as one of the best presentations of a well-rounded woman, which is the X-Files, because Dana Scully starts out, she has cheeks. You know, I'm not saying that she was fat or even overweight by any means, but she has cheeks. She has a softness to her. And as the show progresses, she gets skinnier and skinnier and skinnier and skinnier. And it's the same with, with friends, you know, like they, they, uh, particularly Jennifer, Jennifer Aniston, because you see Rachel starting off with, mm-hmm. you know, with some softness to her. And then the show goes on and she gets more and more lean. And that, that's, you know, it, it's not, um, about shaming people who want to change their shape in a healthy way but it is to point out that this show doesn't tolerate any kind of softness which leads to monica and monica absolutely was the paradigm of fat shaming in late 90s television early 2000s television because that her childhood weight haunted her for the rest of her life she could never really go very far without being reminded of what she looked like and it's not like it's the kind of thing where she is traumatized for being fat and she is then traumatized for being a skinny person who could eventually get fat again mm-hmm. so and i think we see that with the episode where um you know what might have happened if joey ended up with monica and joey ends up in in this imagining just eating all of Monica's cooking, which, you know, she's a, she's a, he's a, she's a chef. He's an eater, of course. But it's okay for him mm-hmm. to get bigger. And yes, it's played for laughs, but not in the same way that Monica is. Um, because Monica, the first thing that you see her in, um, the fat suit is in one of the, the flashback, the episodes with the flashbacks where they're, and they're watching, um, Monica in her teen years when they're going to, to, is it the prom, prom video? Prom yeah. video. Yeah, the prom video. And the one that I always remember because um Rachel goes, Barry as they're leaving, oh, like yeah. you can hear from like from the from the stuff. She's like, Barry <laughs> It's a very Rachel scream. But she So Monica She comes on the screen and there's a pause for laughter. And that's where it starts. Because it's not that she's doing anything funny. 
she's existing as a fat person and that's somehow comical. And, and that's, you know, that, that's part of the, the lazy writing and the cheap shots that writers take at, um, so-called undesirable people because they can get away with it. And even to this day, they can get away with it. I mean, a lot of shows will play now. They may, they won't necessarily refer to the person as, as fat. They may not necessarily point out their fatness in a comical way, but they will certainly build jokes around the person's weight mm -hmm. and around the supposed limitations that that weight ha can um, put on their love lives and on their um, just their everyday existence. Um, and that's, again, a show this popular, it's it's not because it exists in a vacuum and it's not because it's the only show or the first show to have ever done it, but it is certainly one of the most high-profile shows. And the fact that it leaned into it well into its 10th season really speaks to a lack of learning because it, it's, it was pointed out even back then. It's not like, like we're just now coming out of the world being like, oh, look at all these problematic things. And, you know, like we're asking the, the show to somehow go back in time and fix it. No, people were pointing things out early on mm -hmm. saying this is not acceptable. Why are you treating people like a joke just for existing? And the show kept going for 10 seasons, bringing the fat suit out. Um, so yes, absolutely. People who, who love the show, who love the characters, who could see something of themselves in any of the women have absolute just complaint for this show making them feel like less than. Mm -hmm. Um, you had seasons in which, you know, as the show goes on and, you know, like I, I already mentioned this, but, um, Joey starts to get heftier. Chandler goes through all of these permutations in, in weight. And a lot of it had to do because of, of Matthew Perry's own struggles, um, mm -hmm. outside of the show, but he was allowed to gain and lose weight with no mention really of it. Joey was allowed to be less than, you know, absolutely himblebod with no consequences. But heaven forbid we show Monica as anything other than a than an absolute weight, and mm -hmm. you will hear about it. Mm -hmm. Amen to all of that. And I I want to point out I just I I really love all the comments we're getting tonight. I just want to say that because if, even if I don't call it everyone, I really just appreciate all of these. And I just want to point out um, Rachel's comment because this is why it's so harmful to, to young girls and women. And, and she's talking about how she had such a distinct memory of being like nine and grabbing her stomach and thinking so poorly of herself because of that exact prom video episode. And yeah, that's so true because yeah, because like you said, you would see, Chandler and Joey would change their body type and that was fine. But yeah, you couldn't see that with, and it's, that's still a struggle today. That's still something that is, yeah, that's something that I don't think, I think some instances has gotten better, but it's still, you know, it's still not that great. Yeah. Susie, your thoughts? Yeah. Um, when we have like scenes or moments when like jokes are made at Monica's expense or when we have like the flashbacks to like fat Monica. It's, and everyone's just like, Oh my God. And then 
they go even further and make the joke that like she was I think she was like a virgin until she lost the weight because apparently mm-hmm. fat people can't have sex. Can't be a, sexy. Mm-hmm. Can't be sexy at all. And one of my issues is that like whenever like fat Monica is shown on screen, she's always like eating something or has food in yes. her hands. Mm-hmm. Or that's always like if she's like, Oh dad, I'm just eating a sandwich. Like in that prom video when she shows up and it pans and you sh- see her and she's just holding a sandwich. Yeah. And that's it. That's the joke. Like, oh, fat people are always eating. And it's, and also, like, a, a thing that I don't like about, that kind of, like, irks me about her friends is that at some point, each and every one of them, like, takes a dig at her. Like, Joey, with that same video, says, some girl like Monica! Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's doing that. And, and even, like, Chandler, at, like, when they were in teenagers, and she, and she likes him. And he says, no, I can't date her because she's fat. And that, mm-hmm. like, that, like, brings her down. And then she loses the weight to kind of, like, spite him. And only then, until she's conventionally attractive, is he like, oh. And she's like, no, no. We're not going to do this. Mm-hmm. And, like, the issue with, I think there's an episode where Ross is even trying to, like, bait her into eating cookies to gain weight. Or, well, I think not to gain weight, but just, like, he tells her, like, you know you want them. And he's right. acting kind of like a like a pusher. He's like, "I'll give you the first box for free." Oh yeah, mm-hmm. that, yeah. so you'll buy more. Well, she's, and she's like, "You know, I have issues with these cookies and with eating." And he's mm-hmm. like, "No, you gotta." Mm-hmm. And even when we have like episode, like there's an episode where Chandler is like freaking out because everyone thinks he looks fat. He's like, "Do I look fat?" And then was like, "Yeah." And then Monica. Tells him she's like, let's be workout buddies. I'm gonna, I'm gonna whip you oh, into yeah. shape because I need a project. And just like in the way that she keeps like hounding him to exercise and how she keeps like going like, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's keep exercising, let's do this. Like you can see that like, um, I don't know what the word is, but that like neuroses, neuroses, that like neurotic behavior of like I have to exercise and keep moving so I don't gain the weight that I lost and so that I, so that I don't again become this like, this unmentionable, and it's and it's stuff like that and even it's not even like limited to just her like there are also jokes made at those expense like like ugly naked guy. Like at some point mm-hmm. they yes, mentioned that he true. gained the weight. Like that's before true. he used to be cute, and they were like, mm-hmm. "Oh, it's a cute naked guy, like in the street, like on the, on right, the, in the, the other building." Yeah, and yeah. Then, like his and, cat and, dies and because then, it didn't see his big butt. Right, because he sits on it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. And then they're like, "Oh, it's so sad that he's gaining weight." And then again, he is the butt of more jokes by them, where they're like, "Oh, the naked guys are this," or "Oh, I don't think you guys are not." And even so the Brad Pitt episode with Will. When, yeah, uh, when he suddenly starts to eat and he's like, Oh, screw this good body. I'm going to start eating. Yeah. And it's like the butt of more jokes where it, it's just like, yeah, like Rachel said, that stuff is harming. Mm-hmm. Like I have had like a lot of issues myself, like with my own, like with my own body and with weight and like seeing stuff like that as a kid. Again, I would like grab my tummy and be like, Oh, well, I guess I should put down the food. And it's, it's taking me so long and it takes someone so long to like recover from stuff like that because I mean, it can't, it's not only just friends, it's other TV mm-hmm. shows. Yeah. 
like even ones that we love and we don't like really recognize it in that moment but that kind of stuff it like sits with us and like it bores itself into like the very back of your mind so there were sometimes if you ever come across situations that can flare up those insecurities and stuff like that for you it's like that little voice going do you really want to eat a little bit more do you really want to have the soda are you sure what if we just like work out what if we purge? What if we do this? Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh god, no. And then like the recovery process alone from that is like, <sighs> yeah. And it's and it's stuff like that. And even like again, Monica's parents like keep throwing that back in her face. And it's like, you guys, you just you need to stop. And again, like the show is so good, and it doesn't like the episodes where it doesn't focus on the gay panic or it doesn't focus on the fat phobia are so good because they don't mm-hmm. have to rely on those like tired old jokes. And again, at the time when you're watching them, you're like, ah, yeah, that's funny. But then again, when you're older and you've like evolved and gone through the things that you have, you're like, in a way you sort of feel like a little bit icky. Cause you're like, oh. Mm-hmm. Like, I'll admit it, whenever I do rewatches of Friends and, like, the fat jokes come up, I just, like, skip through them because I don't want to, I don't want to deal with that. Yeah. Because it's a good show besides those aspects. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's something that I think about, too, because I would love eventually to show my son all of the stuff that I like to watch. But I think twice about Friends because I'm like, there is just too much stuff in here that pretty much... <laughs> I feel like almost every episode you have to stop and, and contextualize mm-hmm. something and, you know, say this is not okay. Then why is it funny? Well, the other things are funny, but then why are we watching it if a third of it is not, it's not supposed to be funny? It's like, okay, fair point. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, uh, it, it's hard to, to, um, not to defend the show because that's not what we're trying to do, but it's hard to introduce a newer audience to it and mm-hmm. be like, you should be okay with it because I was okay with it 25 years ago. Yeah. Well, also yeah. it's the thing of like it being filmed in front of a live studio audience and they like have them laugh at certain moments, which in a way like kind of pavlovs your brain into making you laugh. Mm-hmm. And there's yeah. also that thing of like being kind of like subconsciously trained to recognize those cues and those jokes and laugh at them. Mm-hmm. And that's a whole other like different process to kind of like unlearn that behavior and do better. Yeah, and you know, I think it's interesting now when you watch shows that have um the audience laughter or they have canned laughter or anything like that. It's interesting to watch them now because like newer ones, I'm not talking about the ones that were already filmed, because I actually find them kind of grating. I find it kind of grating. Yes. That. I would prefer to have the office style or Parks and Rec style as opposed to having a live audience there because I don't want to be told what to laugh at. And it's distracting. But, I mean, it's a part of what Friends is, and it would be weird to not have that with Friends. But, yeah, you're you're right, Susie. It's like, okay, you have to laugh at this. Or, like, when there's one episode and at the end of it, oh, it's the one where that you were taught, that the one where what might have been or something, and they imagine what might have oh, yeah. happened if Ross didn't get divorced and all that kind of stuff. And you have at the end, you have... You have Courtney Cox just dancing around with the fat suit on and the audience is cracking up. And I remember I laughed at that too. But when you look at that, really what it is, is it's laughing at the fact that she's in this fat suit and she's eating and, oh, it's so, it's so funny. 
And that's the problem is that you see in a lot of shows, whenever they're going to have someone who is not a stick figure, that whole character has to be focused around food and they always want to eat. And not every person who is not a stick figure eats 24 seven. That's not reality. That's not the truth. When we talked about, um, this is us not too long ago, we talked about that a little bit about how they have the character of Kate and how to me in the first season, they focused everything on that, on her weight. Her whole life was her weight. And so she couldn't be happy because of her weight. She couldn't have this because she, of her weight. And then later on, I think because of the backlash, what they did instead of what like friends did is instead they kind of pulled that back and they stopped concentrating on that. And they may have overcorrected almost because it's like she never deals with anything, any like fat shaming or anything like that in her real life when she probably would. But at the same time, it's nice because it's not totally focused on that. And she gets to have a love life and she gets to have a, a man in her life that even though I have issues with him, he's totally completely devoted to her and finds her incredibly sexy. And that's so important to see because it's so rare to see that where a person who is not a size zero is actually sexually attractive because you look at, like you were saying, Carla, the actresses and you watch them through the seasons and you watch them lose weight. Like if you look at Jennifer Aniston in season one, as opposed to season 10, there's a stark difference there. And I know she talked about that a lot, that she had trouble getting roles and she was not fat. She was not overweight at all. No, She looked great, but she had trouble getting roles because of the fact that she wasn't a stick. And it's so, it's so toxic and damaging. And especially when you see that it's okay for men to be that way, but it's not okay for women. You'd have all those sitcoms where you'd have the guy who was overweight and he had the really skinny wife. You know, yeah, you King of Queens is the one that comes first mm-hmm. to mind in that. Mm-hmm. Or, uh, I don't know, like, I can name. According to Jim was another. According one. to Jim, yeah, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. we've had that. So it's okay if the man is overweight. Parks and Rec did that too with Jerry, right? That's true. With Jerry, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's true. That's and even with Andy and April, because yeah. when yeah. they started true. forming that bond, Chris Pratt didn't have his Guardians of the Galaxy body. Mm -hmm. That's very true. Yeah. Yeah. So you still see it still continues. That's one of the things. That's one of those phobias that just hangs on for dear life. And I'm not saying that all the other phobias have gone away because they definitely haven't. But that one just hangs on and seems more acceptable to. It seems like a lot of people accept it a lot easier than they do other phobias. Yeah. Um, well, it's because yeah. something that pretty much everybody laughs at because it doesn't get called out as much mm-hmm. or, um, or rather it's the, the muting of, of fat people. And yeah. th- there are some communities where I think a lot of other communities think it's okay to, to silence them. And that includes fat people and includes disabled people. Yes. Because yes. those are communities that people are happy to shut out. Um, because you can be ableist and fat phobic no matter what race you are, no matter your sexual orientation. And it's easy to say, well, those aren't real problems. Those are problems that you could probably fix. You know, yeah. it's like, well, I can never stop being my race, but, but you can probably stop being fat. And it's like, what kind of take is that? And that's something that, you know, that I've actually seen and heard said, you know, that, that that's like mm-hmm. something that people find acceptable that, 
that mm-hmm. your problems aren't real real problems or you should adapt to the mm-hmm. world around you because everybody else is thinner or everybody else can walk and see you know like this is your problem if you just tried hard enough exactly right. yeah if you put in the work right, mm-hmm. right. And it's, you know, not only is that not always the case, because there are people who just, frankly, that's their body shape and that's who they're always going to be no matter what they try. But also, why should they? If they're comfortable and they're happy in their bodies, then why is it anybody's job to police that? Why is it anybody's job to say, you know, to to, to say, well, I'm just worried about your health. And it's like, you know, you're worried about being seen with me. You're worried about me existing and, you know, uh, causing a blight in your landscape it has mm-hmm. nothing to do with actual caring it's you're making this about you and mm-hmm. you don't need to yeah and I'll say you know and I'll say even a personal experience even today um, you know my family and by this I mean like my mom my sister and my grandma are all vaccinated now including me and so we had a Mother's Day thing today <laughs> because my sister's working tomorrow and she works in healthcare. And so she was like the first one to get vaccinated out of all of us. So it was great to have everybody there, but we're sitting there. And my grandma, my grandma, who's in her nineties, who is amazing and incredibly strong, but she is literally, she is so thin and she's always been thin and she's just really skinny. And she's, we're sitting there talking about something I don't remember. And she's like, Oh yeah, I never had legs that skinny. And we're all like, and she even suffered, suffers with that her whole life. Like, I guess she used to go on like ice cube diets and lettuce diets and stuff like that. And she's tiny. She's a tiny, tiny little person. So you'll see that, that even people that you on the outside, you're like, you're not, you're, what are you talking about? But because this, because society just hammers that in, women just automatically look at themselves. And I know, I know men struggle with this too. I do want to say, I do know men struggle with this too, but women will automatically look at themselves and go, Oh man, look at this little tiny bit of cellulite, this little tiny bit of fat here. I'm not as skinny here. I need to lose weight here. Even when they don't necessarily need to, which I'm not saying anybody needs to. I'm just saying, you know, like even when they're like a size two, they might Mm -hmm. even still look at themselves and see that. And it's just the way our society just perpetuates that because Thin is good, fat is not good. You know, yeah, it's like and thin scene. automatically means healthy, and right, fat automatically. Yeah, I can it's, honestly, it's like the scene in White Chicks where like the girl, one of the girls, is trying on clothes, and you could see just it's it's not even a belly, and she's like, "Look at me, I'm so fat!" And she's like freaking out about it, mm-hmm. or like Mean Girls when like mm-hmm. they go to a store called like Two Four Six, and when the dress doesn't fit Regina, like the shop attendant tells her, she's like, oh, okay, you can shop at Macy's. Right. Yeah, and the joke is but like, she's eating that stuff and it's like, right. Yeah. right. But I can honestly say that, you know, not even talking about my, my friends who are, um, who are overweight, fat, etc. But the skinny friends in my life, not a single one of them has ever not said, I need to lose weight mm-hmm. or I need to get in shape. Mm-hmm. Every single woman I know who mm-hmm. is under a size four has at some point in my life said, said to me, I need to firm up. I need to lose weight or I've gotten fat. And 
that just goes to show you that, you know, that as a woman, you can never be enough for, mm -hmm. uh, the societal standards. Um, and I, it's just awful that even, you know, with this show, and like I said, as it goes on, Jennifer Cox, Jennifer Cox, Jennifer Aniston and Courtney Cox get skinnier and skinnier and skinnier. Um, and if you look up to them in any way, especially if you're watching the show as a young person, it absolutely affects you. Mm -hmm. And not, not just for the show, but since we're talking about friends specifically, yes, that definitely affects you. Mm -hmm. This show was set in New York. And it was incredibly white. <laughs> so yeah. I want to talk about that because there was an issue with the whiteness of this show. This show was incredibly white. So I want to get your thoughts on that. The issues with the whiteness of Friends starts before we even talk about the show Friends. It starts when we compare Friends to Living Single. Living Single came on a year before Friends. And... A lot of people have rightly pointed out all the similarities between friends and living single, specifically because, you know, there's a level of, of, you know, how much of this is stolen from, from living single. And I'll grant you, like, I, I watched living single. I enjoyed it a lot. It doesn't have my heart the way that friends does. Um, but I think a lot of that also has to be attributed to the, level of attention and the funding that was given to friends versus living single when living single came out it was one of the biggest hits in black and latino demographics um friends came out and not only did it have the same premise it had similar characters character arcs um settings um pairings storylines but living single didn't get nearly the amount of, of of advertising and of funding that Friends did. Friends, when it was, uh, I believe, like in uh, number three out of 185 shows or something like that, and Living Single was way down there, continued to get more, um, more, more of a marketing push than Living Single, which you would think that this is a show that, yes, is struggling, but it had a very strong audience at the beginning. Why aren't you putting more of a focus on that show? Um, and like I said, this is before we even talk about Friends itself. But that goes to tell you that it, it's it's all top down. Mm -hmm. It all comes from it starts it has to start with the network, and it then trickles down to the show itself. Um, there was a an issue last year where David Schwimmer put his foot giantly in his mouth by saying that you know I would love to see an all Asian. Um, version of Friends. I would love to see an all-black version of Friends. And Candy Alexander, who was on Living Single, came out and said, did there you was. not see Living Single? It's like, we existed before Friends existed, so what are you even talking about? I, David Trimmer, like, walked back what he said in a very... And, and so just saying, you know, you know what? I completely um, did not recall that. Thank you for pointing that out. I will do better in the future. He, it was this whole mealy mouth thing of like, well, blah, blah, blah. And you know how these things get taken out of context. And that's not exactly what I said. And da, da, da. instead of just apologizing and moving on. But the show itself. Oh, so, so anyway, so the reason that I brought up that interview is that David Schwimmer had apparently wanted the, the network to 
to have Ross have a love interest who wasn't strictly white, mm-hmm. which is great, especially when you're talking about when the show was being put on that David Trimmer used his position, position to try to make that point and he wasn't heard until much later when the, the public out war, um, out, um, cry was a lot louder. But it wasn't until much later when you had a character, I, I, I cannot remember, and I just heard it today, but, um, that both, I believe it was Joey and Ross, and this is before Aisha Tyler, mm-hmm. where both Joey and Ross were interested in her and she, mm-hmm. and, um, Ross had tried to help her move in and he hurt his back and then Joey was trying to help him move in. But it was, so it was like the one black person they had encountered really. Yeah. And who knows how long. Then when Aisha Tyler comes in and she's, you know, she's Charlie, she's this really like awesome scientist woman and she's everything that Ross could have ever dreamed of. But then she starts dating Joey first and, mm-hmm. um, they go through this whole thing. And then, um, so then Ross ends up with her and, and it's like, okay, you couldn't have more than one black woman on the show. You had to use the one black woman for two characters. Um, why there are more than one black actor in the world even back as far as the 1990s believe it or not um and yes it is new york how do you walk around new york and not see any non-white people and then you would have them like sprinkled Mm -hmm. in just peppered in randomly in the most obvious ways where it's like well we need to have black people on let's put one in the background not really give them any lines or anything interesting to add on their own. You had, um, in, when Joey was teaching acting, which was fantastic because <laughs> yeah. when, when Joey is, is teaching you how to, you know, do emotions, like, you know, you, you can look like something, like something smells like <laughs> smell the fart, smell, smell the, the fart. fart. Yeah. <laughs> the smell the, smell the fart face. Or when, um, he really needs to react to something where he's supposed to be completely stunned. It's like, you try to multiply these two numbers together and he's like, yeah, you just got bad news. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Yes, you just got bad news. Were <laughs> you trying to do math in your head? Okay, but anyway, so um, there's a, a black actor in there who is mm-hmm. going uh, up against Joey for an audition, and so he there you, right there you have gay panic and racism, where he's like, well, I want this part, and so I told this guy to play the character gay, and like one. Why? Why would that be a thing that you say to somebody? And two, this is one of the few black characters with with speaking lines in the entire show. And this is how we're gonna how we're gonna utilize this actor. Um, but there's not really much to to say beyond that. This show was very dedicated to being very white in a city that is decidedly not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, agree with all of that. And, and, and Bailey, I do want, I do want to point out, sorry, I have to, we did actually do an episode on Living Single. Um, so if you go back, we did an episode on, on, on that show as well. And we do mention, um, we do cover a little bit about how friends, you know, took, took that premise and ran with it and, you know, did the classic just appropriation in a lot of ways is what they did. And of course, got, more uh, respect because it was white. So, um, Susie, your thoughts on the 
whiteness of yeah. Like Carla said, like there is, like there's a saying that I like to say when I see like a, a lot of like whiteness. It's just like that's a lot of snow. Mm-hmm. Like there is so much snow, and like the few like instances that we get of colored people, they're almost always like an obstacle. So like Julie, who was like Chinese, she was an obstacle for for Ross and Rachel to get together. Mm-hmm. Um, with the with the student that Joey taught, he was an obstacle to him getting the role. With in Chandler's case, like I think his boss is also like a person of color, and he's also work is like kind of like an obstacle for him. Like, oh my god! And it's just like it's never. I think the issue with it, like just being like so white, is in a city that's like so diverse. Is that in a way like due to its like really big popularity? It also kind of contributes to like the gentrification of the city because it's like, oh, I can also have like the New York apartment with all my white friends and let's just move into this like poorer neighborhood and take it over and have our own Central Park and our own like misadventures. And in a way, having it be like that just kind of like further contributes to that to like, it's kind of like a, a weird poster child for gentrification. And in a way that leads to like the, the people of color in these cities and in places like this that are supposed to have like such a big diversity to being pushed out, which then just makes the city wider and wider and, and like appropriation of cultures and the like, traditions and stuff like that. It's like, it's a whole thing. And like, I feel like you can probably like just like, there have been some shows from the 90s that have kind of been remade with, like, a little bit more success. And I feel like if Friends were to be remade, I feel like it would do so much good if it were to be remade with, like, a more diverse cast. Because that just, like, opens up the avenue to, like, like all these different, like, cultural differences. Like, oh, like, let's just say that one of the people in, like, the friend group in Friends 2.0 is, like, Dominican. Or Costa Rican, or or um or Cuban, or something like Hispanic, and then they'll tell their friends like, "Oh yeah, let's go down to the bodega," and then you have like bodega adventures and and learning about that. And it's just like it's this whole thing that I feel like the show would benefit from more from showing these cultures rather than treating them as like like a secondhand like mm-hmm. characters or like second or like second class citizens almost within that own story. And David Schwimmer did put in his foot in an interview he said no i have a pretty good like radar of what's what's good and what's not because i'm just like so in tune into the problems that i like if 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 things on the show weren't right i would have said something and yeah granted you can't do that but also sir you're speaking from a place of white male privilege and there's only like so much that you can understand from like different communities, mm-hmm. so I feel like it's best in that case that you please take a step back and let like mm-hmm. and like the real like outspoken like the people that are speaking about these issues like speak about them without being spoken over by you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I just echo everything both you and Carla have said. Um, it is, it is a problem. It's still a problem today. This isn't something that is necessarily gone away. Um, you know, 
whitewashing and everything and, and gentrification, gentrification. I mean, Susie and I are in Colorado and gentrification here is a big, big problem and a big issue. There are lots of areas of Colorado that have been built up in a Denver area specifically. And gentrification is a huge issue here. So you also see it in friends. That's a great way of putting it. I think that's a great way of putting it with friends. Because, yeah, it is ridiculous that they would live in a city with so much diversity and all you would see pretty much for 99.999% of it is white people. Just different shades of white. And that's all you would pretty much see. And especially when you have a show that has taken a premise, you know, that that had black lead characters and it's basically stolen that premise from them and whitewashed it themselves and gentrified it themselves is the way you could also look at it too. And, you know, so it's, it, it is, it's a huge issue. I think it's even, you know, that's the thing about friends is watching it now through today's lens. These issues that were always there are so much clearer now and so much starker, which they should have always been. But I think now, especially for me as being older, watching it when it first came out, I was young, I was young and I didn't necessarily see all the issues. Um, the only issue I really saw honestly was the fact that they couldn't afford that apartment, their apartments in any land world, anything, but I didn't see all these other issues. And of course I'm, a white person. So yeah, I mean, not, not that's, I'm not saying that as an excuse. I'm just saying that, yeah, that's probably part of why I didn't see a lot of those issues is because I wasn't, you know, I'm like, you know, using my white lens and my white privilege to not see those issues. But I think they're even clearer now. Um, but the issue still persists. This is something that is not, that has not gone away. You know, I don't know what the percentage is of TV shows that have, um, I I don't know if anyone even knows those statistics of like casts that are more, that aren't predominantly white. Like, I don't know if there's even this, I'm sure there's statistics out there, but I, I'd be curious to know. But the other thing to look at in this is that this show came out in the nineties. And what's interesting about the nineties is there was a period where there were all these shows, like you had the UPN network and UPN had all these shows that had a lot of, um, that, that were black led shows and huge black casts. And a lot of people thought things were changing. And a lot of what happened was, you know, a lot of people got used and abused. And then the two thousands came along. They said, now nah, we're just going to stick with white whites better. Bye-bye. We used you. We got money. You know, it's that whole thing again, again, you know, it's just, it's using, you know, the labor to get white people are using, black labor to get money again in entertainment realm. So that's a lot of what happened in the nineties too, but I just would be curious. I don't know. I'm sure there are studies out there, but if anybody has any, I would love to see them or I can look them up too, uh, just to see what the landscape looks like now, because I think there's still, that still is a huge, huge problem. I mean, we've already mentioned Joss Whedon and we're going to definitely talk about that <laughs> and how he's a racist too. <laughs> And that whole thing and the WB and their whole Warner Brothers, I mean, and their whole problem with that whole thing with the Snyder cut and with, with all of that and Ray Fisher and definitely going to talk about that, touch on that. So it's still there. I mean, racism is still alive and well, of course, and it is alive and well in Hollywood as it ever has been. So it's something that prevails. It's something that dominates. It still is, you know, white is best. 
quote unquote, is what people are looking for and what we would get more representation. And that's why, you know, it's, that's why, that's why I want to see those statistics because I don't think it's really changed that much. I honestly, I don't know if my panelists disagree or agree with me, but I don't think it's changed that much. I think this show, if Friends was made today, I think they might try to diversify, they might try to have some more diversity in there. But I could also see them just doing it again the same exact way. Yeah, I, I think both both possibilities are there. I think, but I think here's the difference: if it were going to be a show that was not predominantly white in its casting, if it dealt with issues that were not exclusively cis hetero white issues then I think it might not be on a major network, not even a major mm -hmm. streamer. I think it would mm -hmm. might be might be like on, you know, free form or something smaller, more niche. If it were going to be on a big network, I think it would have a lot less leeway in its stories and it would have a lot of a shorter leash than mm -hmm. um than it might have otherwise. Um I think we see that and even even in white led shows, they're not given the same amount of of time to develop if they're not just white and if they're not just straight. We see that with, for example, in the show Whiskey Cavalier on um, on ABC, which was a great show. It was led by Scott Foley and Lauren Cohen, um, but it also had a diverse cast. Mm -hmm. aside from that and so it was in a much shorter relation that got canceled after the first season even though it was a great show you had the show Timeless and I forget the network for that one but Timeless was was really good and it was going places but a third of the leads one was a woman and one was a black man and um, there was also a uh, there were also quite a few non-white characters who were in leadership positions in the show's lore, um, and that got canned really quickly. Um, uh, I can never remember the, the, the name of the show right now, but it, it's it starred Colby Smothers, Smolders as a um, as a bounty hunter, and she was oh, yeah. very openly bisexual, mm -hmm. and that got canned pretty quickly. Um, so I. I I'm hesitant to say, you know, a, a, a fresher approach with, with more diversity would absolutely work and be embraced because even shows that have white leads, if they don't conform strictly to white is best, don't get the same opportunities. Um, that said, I would still love to see it. I would love to see a real attempt, not just lip service, but a real attempt at having um a comeback of of a sort um i am not a great fan of reboots i'm not a great fan of you know bringing back an old property simply because yeah. it's like you can do it without referring back to the it's to not the really one. done well and it's most right. times it's just cashing in on the nostalgia factor too yeah yeah, yeah you're cashing in yeah. on on the name and the nostalgia and then doing a completely different thing which fine if you're gonna do it completely differently then be different don't use the name. Commit to you know, it. You don't have to. Yeah, commit to to it. And I think a lot of a lot of reboots don't necessarily do that. Um, but 
I wouldn't mind seeing somebody take a crack at it if it could come up with a cast with that same chemistry. If they could come up with um, the, the same um, devotion to being funny, you know, like because there's a lot of of greatness to Friends, and and I know that you know if you only listen to the last third of this of this broadcast you may not think that that we actually love friends but we're huge fans of friends yeah it's like <laughs> it's true but that's the thing is like if, if you can't speak critically of a show that you love mm-hmm. just because you love it then you know th- then you're not yeah we're making a trifle here <laughs> yes we're making an english trifle yes and we're, we're at the beef and onion layer uh so yeah i i think it's something that could be done. You'd have to ha- to have the right combination of elements, and that's the part that's harder to, to replicate. It's not hard to replicate the the script or the characters or any of that. It would be incredibly hard to find the elements that made the cast what it was and what what made those characters what they were. Mm-hmm. That's not something that you can just come up with in a in a casting room just by trying. It, it's like an, a full on miracle that there was a confluence of personalities that came mm-hmm. together and um and shared a screen. I think that's actually a good place to wrap up, but I think I you know, I want to say with looking at shows critically is that's part of the reason I wanted to do this podcast is to look at stuff that we love but also look at it through a critical eye. That's the thing is you have to look at media through a critical eye. And you may love that show and you may love everything about it, but it doesn't mean there aren't issues with it and it doesn't mean that there aren't things that needs to improve i think the only show we've ever covered on here where we didn't talk about stuff that needed to be improved was Shit's creek i honestly think that's the only show <laughs> that we have ever discussed and we're going to talk about that again during pride month i think that's the only one we have ever ever talked about where we didn't as far as i can remember we were not critical of the show at all maybe the characters but never of the show and that is a rare rare unicorn i mean (laughs) well i want to say a shout out to everyone who has watched this and commented um to lauren to bailey to panda to rachel to cindy to michael who was here earlier i don't know if you watched through the whole thing um to anyone else who i feel like i'm missing someone i'm sorry if i am but to anyone who watched it anyone who watches it later this is a new thing we're doing. We're going to be doing this now every week because I think this is a lot of fun and I think it's a cool way to reach more people and just to have a nice interactive thing. And so next week, of course, what we're doing is we are going to have our live trivia night next Saturday, May 15th at 6 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. And I'm going to be posting a sign up thing. It's a Google form. You can sign up. Because we've decided we're going to be doing it where we're going to have the first 20 people who sign up are the people that are going to be participating. We're limiting it to 20 because Paula, my co-host, and I both kind of went, we'll go crazy if it's any more than that. I don't think it will be. But just letting you know, we're going to try and limit it to the first 20 who sign up. So look for that on our Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all that kind of stuff. It'll be on Twitter tonight. I don't know if it'll be on Facebook on and Instagram until maybe tomorrow, just to let you know. So we're going to post that. And also just to let you know a little bit how it's going to work. So you're going to come on there. We're going to have trivia questions, some trivia questions. The prize will be a sticker or a magnet or something like that. 
for other ones, the prize, and this is really cool, such as Liberty Diner Dish is doing this. Um, and I know other podcasts might be doing this too, where, I mean, Liberty Diner Dish is going to give $25. They have three trivia questions. So they're going to be giving a total of $75 to various charities of the winner's choice. So if you won, you could say, this is the charity I want you to donate to. I mean, you know us, we're not going to accept any charity that would be horrible and awful, of course, but they have decided to do that. We are also going to have a big, big prize for whoever gets the most trivia questions right. So you might have won all these other prizes. And that's going to include um, an It's a Fandom Thing coffee mug or water bottle. So you get to choose. And then $10 to your to a Black Lives Matter organization of your choice. And $10 to a Stop Asian Hate organization of your choice. Because as you know, we do don donate to those. Our April one, I apologize for the delay on that. That will be posted soon. I apologize. That's on me. Um, but it was my, my brain was in second vaccine land. And I, so I apologize, but that will be posted soon. So I just want to make sure everybody knows we're doing not just prizes, but we're also going to be do doing donations and charity. And it's just going to be a fun event. Okay. So we're going to wrap up there. <laughs> my long promo of our trivia night, but I'm just so excited about it. And I hope a lot of people will be there and watch, and we're going to have some great podcasts on us with, on us with us, on it with us. Excuse me. My brain <laughs> is dying. We've had this on huge us with it. close out. So, and everyone can say where they can be found. Carla. Thank you. I can be found on, um, well, I have my website for my art. It's carlatemis.com. That's C-A-R-L-A-T-E-M-I-S.com. And along with Meg, another frequent guest, uh, we have a podcast of our own called Bed, Wet, or Behead Pod. You can find that wherever you find high quality, classy podcasts. Uh, you can also find us primarily on Twitter. That is at Bed, Wet, Behead Pod on Instagram bed.wed.behead.pod and on Facebook just look for bedwed or behead pod awesome thank you and Susie yeah um so you can find my dog's Instagram at uh Benny underscore Benicita so that's B-E-N-N-I-E underscore B-E-L U-S-I-T-A I always have to write it down and make sure I say like Benicita right because my brain wants to like flip letters around and I'm like no no it's not an anagram time. <laughs> it's not it. Um, well, you can also find me on Instagram at CZQ, uh, I think it's double underscore SC. So, yeah. <laughs> and Twitter. Oh, yes! Yes! Oh my god, thank you! Yes, hold on. Is that a double underscore as well? I think it's just one underscore I, on Twitter. She's yeah. tagged in some of our tweets, so. Yes! Just five just returns. <laughs> Awesome. Thank you so much. And this is Erin. You can follow me on Twitter at eAprilBeauty. The E and the A and the B are capitalized. Be sure to like the show on Facebook at facebook.com slash it's a fandom thing pod on Twitter at fandom thing pod. No, it's in that one on Instagram at it's a fandom thing pod. If you'd like to be a potential interview guest, feel free to reach out to us at it's a fandom thing pod at gmail.com. And on our next episode, the amazing Erin. A, the other Erin who runs our Instagram and Facebook. I know I hype her all the time and I, I know she, I, I, I don't know if it embarrasses her or she gets, <laughs> she's amazing and incredible. So I have to hype her because she does so much stuff. 
you don't even know people. She does so much stuff for the show and she gives her time. So I love her to death. And so it's going to be her and I just talking about Chuck. And this is like her, I think it's her all time favorite show. Honestly, I think it's this and Doctor Who. So I'm really excited to talk about this with her. So look for that to drop on Friday. And remember, trivia night, Saturday, (laughs) May 15th. And thank you, everyone who has joined our live stream. I really appreciate it. It means a lot to me because this is a new thing we're doing. So I really, really appreciate it a great deal. Thank you so much. Even if you tune into this later. Thank you. So until next time, remember, it's a fandom thing. Black Lives Matter and Stop Asian Hate. Thank you again for listening to It's a Fandom Thing. Be sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and follow us on all your favorite podcast platforms. Our logo was designed by Brooke Belly with cover art by Carla Temmies. Additional research was done by Megan Archuleta. Our Instagram and Facebook content producer and creator is Erin Amos. And our producer is Lila Tafola. I'm your host, Erin Marlowe. And remember, keep that fandom spirit alive. <laughs>